Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Point of Origin, episode 38, the podcast where that's not actually how black holes work, but I'll give you points for trying. <laughs> it doesn't ruin the episode at all because the whole premise is completely dependent on there has to be a team on a planet that is then affected by a black hole. Unfortunately, that premise right there doesn't actually work because <laughs> if a planet were in orbit of a star that goes supernova and collapses into a black hole, that planet's got bigger issues than time dilation. Yeah, especially, like I mentioned, how close it is to the planet. Right, yeah, that just wouldn't make any It's like, that would have vaporized no, it. No, that would have gone, gone kablooey in the long run. Um, not in the long run, in the short run. <laughs> and in the first run. In the first run, right? So if you gloss over literally just one little detail, it's completely fine. Because literally from there on out, once they're at SGC and dealing with the effects of the black hole, it doesn't fucking matter how the intro really happens. Because it's really about the effects of it on the you know on Earth. So I don't really have much of a complaint with the episode because I was going back and forth. And I realized that there's really just no way they can make it work. And they had to do it this way for the episode to happen the way they wrote it. Yeah, and they had to have it happen with the the team on another planet so that they could have that the story element story yeah, exactly so it makes complete sense i get it the idea that a black hole creates time dilation is fine and dandy the idea that the effects being felt through a wormhole would be a fascinating episode is also great but when it becomes a black hole it hasn't changed that much in size or gravity it has to have it has to have time to eat shit and become bigger <laughs> before it has to have time to yeah. eat shit yeah well that's the thing is it's brand new and it's it's not instantly gonna just grow a shit ton and gain a whole bunch of gravity as a result, thereby affecting the planet in the way that's affected in this episode. It doesn't, it doesn't work like that. I get why they did it, because they had to. That's just my immediate disclaimer on this, is that technically this episode doesn't actually work at all based on the premise it gives us, but we know what it was going for, and it's not like it was trying to be interstellar, so fuck it. Yeah, and at the end of the day, uh, sci-fi shows... You gotta take the sci part of it with a grain of salt. Yes, exactly. They take full advantage of the cool aspects of this Yes, plot. exactly. That's why it's like, fuck it, I'll do a disclaimer at the beginning, but the rest of the episode, I that's pretty much my only, that's the only time I bring it up as an issue, because the rest of the stuff is still within the realm of reason and creative license. You know, it's as scientifically accurate as it cares to be for the average layman. <laughs> yeah. And it's really just about exploring the element of time dilation from science fiction perspective. I mean, I love science fiction for a reason, so, I mean, I think it, I think it pulls it off. I genuinely love this episode. Yeah, it's a good episode. So on that note, I'm Liz. And I'm Mel. My last note on that, by the way, was there's a lot of creative math being used. Yeah. For the time dilation as it's felt on Earth. It, it, it works, but only if you... Don't think too hard on it. Yeah. Honestly, the thing is, is I was really into trying to figure out just how much of it was accurate, and the amount of reading I, ha I end up doing, the amount of charts and maths uh, math I was looking at was just honestly painful. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. It, it works. <laughs> so yeah, uh, today we are covering episode, season two, episode 16, sort of. <laughs> 16, depends sort on, of? Depends on who you're getting it from. Oh, My yeah. My DVD says 15. Right. But Wikipedia says 16, so we're doing 16. A Matter of Time. And the official synopsis for it. A black hole swallows the SG-10 team, and O'Neill is sent on a rescue mission. But the hole's gravitational pull grows stronger, drawing Stargate toward it, and soon threatening to destroy Earth. Will O'Neill find a way to stop the super-destructive force? Okay, What the things. fuck is that Sorry, synopsis? I need to, first off, 
He does not get sent on a rescue yeah, mission. What? That's the entire point of this episode and his part of the plot. Two, what? he's not the one who's solving it. Yes, exactly. Give Sam some fucking credit. Oh my god, was this written by a misogynistic eight-year-old? Yes. Like, it's a Sam episode, it's a Jack episode, but it's also a Sam episode. And she has a shit ton of presence in front of the camera in this episode, doing literally all of the explaining. All of the leading on the science part. It's almost as if that's why her character is in this show. What, what the actual fuck? What? I'm sorry, we're supposed to believe that his nerves of steel helped him figure this out? Like, what the fuck? I'm just... Wow, that synopsis is my new most loathed one. It's bad enough when it's like he gets sent on a rescue mission. It's like, no, he doesn't. He tries to get sent on one, and Hammond immediately shuts him down. Also, what was that intro sentence? Swallowed by a black hole? As in they're already... Uh, hang on. Because that would make it sound like they're already at the event horizon of a black hole, which I hate to tell you, but that's full-on spaghettification at that point. Yeah, it says the black hole swallows SG-10. I mean, it will. <laughs> so on that <laughs> terrible note. Yeah, I'm just, I'm, I cannot believe that these, that thing starts out with swallowed by. Because that, I mean, the that's like, okay. It's both the most annoying part and somehow, okay, it's not the most annoying part because I'm still pretty pissed about Jack being given the credit for solving it as a, yeah, whatever. Anyway, the idea of it being described like that makes it so that it's like almost the most annoying, but also kind of the only thing that I could see where they were going with it, as in, as soon as that black hole became an issue for that team, they were dead. That was just the end of yeah. it. There was no chance. So I guess if you wanted to use creative language, you could say that they were, for all intents and purposes, already swallowed. Mm-hmm. by the end of that beginning scene but that's literally the only thing i can give them because the rest of that is just it still doesn't make sense it doesn't make it better yeah, that's just a bad synopsis it's hardly surprising when they're bad these days so no, no, it's no. not like we haven't been doing this i was gonna say over a year okay i know it's been over a year in terms of like just since we began the podcast because you know that we took a huge break it's been but over a year in, is oh, well, in no, actu- an be... actually cumulative recording time is it been a year <laughs> Has no it been a year? um it'll be over a year sometime in season three gotcha okay cool so for nearly a year of episodes now we've been reading some pretty crap synopses so i'm definitely over this hill but yeah that that, that broke me a little <laughs> oh yeah it didn't even have, like, egregious, um... Grammar spelling? Punctuation, like some of the other ones have had. Yeah. It's just wrong. It's just wrong on all of the levels. Just like, did you watch the episode at all when you wrote this? Because I'd want to say no, you didn't. And I know it's a pretty early on reveal in the episode that you can't save this SG team on the planet, but it's still something they take the time in the episode to bring up and conclude. And yet the synopsis is not interested in maintaining that. It just lets you know from the get-go they're fucked, which is just not how that should be. Anyway, moving on from this crap at synopsis. So, uh, this episode was directed by by Martin Wood. Woo! We like him, right? I like him after this one for sure, but... Uh, I think he's... I don't know if he's on our Hall of Fame... We don't dislike him. No, he's in our Hall of Fame. Oh, he is? What, what, which episodes has he done? Oh, goodness. Um, he did Spirits. He did Gamekeeper. We put him in there for Gamekeeper, uh, for sure. Yes. Yeah, well, that explains a lot, actually, considering how Gamekeeper deals with the same storyline that's brought up in this one for Jack. He also did In the Line of Duty. Oh, speaking of the, of the um, director, though, I do put... I could, l- I could cheat oh, yeah. and look at my synopsis. That's okay, while you're doing that. Um, so I do include the trivia links for a reason. I, I do go through the trivia either before or after, depending on my uh, devotion to this episode. Yeah. 
But I tend to just scroll down to the trivia part immediately because I don't need to read the synopsis. I just watched the episode and so yeah. forth. And I don't need to look at any of the production detail thingies in the top part of the screen because so on and so forth. Anyway, it turns out one of the uh, links I include, the fandom one specifically, uh, for mm -hmm. this episode has the wrong director listed. Weird. Who they list? Uh, somebody else. Let me take a look real fast. I have it up. Uh, da, 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 da. Yeah, this one says it's directed by somebody named Jimmy Kaufman. Who? I, yeah, I got nothing. I have no idea. Who the fuck is that? Ah, uh, I got nothing for you. I'm assuming it's um because of the order snafu that maybe whoever was like but putting Jimmy in. Jimmy Kaufman wasn't involved in any of the other episodes. Oh, then in that, in that case, I have literally no idea. <laughs> That was just my first thought. But yeah, is so. Is this like that uh, freaking Steven Spielberg poltergeist conspiracy theory? I'm sorry, what? You've never heard that theory? Where there. Because there's. I don't know who is credited uh -huh. with directing Poltergeist. Uh, poltergeist yeah, I don't but know there's either. a conspiracy theory that it actually was really directed by Steven Spielberg. Why, why do so people think a lot this? <laughs> Because uh, it's got a lot of his style, and I guess he was around the set a lot around then, because I guess he's, like, on good terms with the actual director or whatever. Weird. That's, that's weird. I've never cared about it, but I've heard about it, so I, I'm aware that that conspiracy theory exists. But no, I'm not seeing, I'm not seeing a Jimmy Kaufman listed anywhere in these directors. Hmm. Oh, wait, no, okay, <laughs> Jimmy Kaufman directed Tin Man. Oh, see, that's just really weird because who knows why it's happening like this. Anyway, the reason why I bring it up is because I include this link, I don't know if it's ever been confusing to anybody in the past if they've been listening to an episode that we have said, and it's directed by this guy or written by this person, and then they'll be reading the page and go, what the fuck? I need you to understand, Jimmy Kaufman does not appear to have directed any other episodes than so, Tin Man. So this is a really weird one to have his name on then. So maybe this really is just a um, 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 a fluke, a fluke mistake on the fandom site. Because for the most part, fuck up. Yeah, I mean, I have mentioned occasionally that when it comes to trivia pages, you can never be entirely sure that everything listed on there is true because it could be somebody who thinks this is a thing or so on and so forth. Yeah. For for once, I actually am going to be including a link this week for the goofs that IMDb has listed, not just the trivia itself, because at least one of the goofs I was reading that going, okay, who the fuck wrote this? Because this is written by somebody who does not understand what science is. Because there were, <laughs> it, was a, it was a goof that doesn't really work the way they described it. Um, tell me what it is. I want to uh, know. Da -da they are half wrong, half right in how they wrote it. It's mostly just really badly worded, but it, you don't even want to know how much time I had to dedicate to figuring out what the fuck this said. <laughs> anyway. Um, 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 it was basically kind of what I said before, which was if a you know, star turns into a black hole, it wouldn't actually just, it would have the same mass. It wouldn't you know, yeah. just randomly be bigger. Just because the star turned from emitting light to appearing dark does not mean <laughs> that time suddenly slowed to a near stop. The remote planet would be, where's remote coming into play there? Um, it would be know, well man. clear of the event horizon, so the team on the planet would keep moving at the same speed the entire time and not experience time dilation. It's half right, because, yeah, if it's the same mass, it wouldn't be creating time dilation because the sun had that mass, and it wasn't creating that much time dilation with yeah. its gravity, so why the, f yeah. But it's it's the beginning part that makes no sense. Yeah. Based on the CGI we'll get into in a little bit, uh, it looks like a large star in a binary system was feeding off of a smaller star until the large star got too big, maxed out its gravitational forces, blah, 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 collapsed into supernova, and became a black hole. That's actually an interesting part of this whole episode, is that, like, they just, without words, show what's happening. 
There's like hope you hope you yeah, get it. Yeah, <laughs> they trusted they trusted people to get that way. And this is before TiVo, so they had way too much trust in people to figure that out. Yeah, in the first scene. right. Because hell, I, by the time my you figure notes it out, are kind it's, of like I don't know, a black hole happens. <laughs> the thing is, is even the CGI. I mean, I know they were limited by what they had, but the CGI isn't even that good, so it's kind of hard to tell what it's trying to show. CGI's a bit blurry. Yeah. Either way, uh, <laughs> but the mass part, they have right. And then, just because the star turned from emitting light to appearing dark is a sentence I can't even begin to dissect for all of its problems. Does not mean that time suddenly slowed to a near stop. That part's right. <laughs> this person jump ropes with how with how facts work, and it's interesting. So that's the thing with goofs and trivia. They do depend on people to post them. Mm-hmm. So and, and, and people are, you know, human and aren't perfect. So unless they all happen to be scientists or production assistants or people who went to conventions and took detailed notes and are getting everything exactly right, trivia tends to have a couple of... uh, inconsistencies. (laughs) Trivia is inherently slightly flawed as a result. But, you know, what you gonna do? So, Jimmy Kaufman has nothing to do with this episode. No! I don't know why he's brought up. It's weird. But yeah, that was the circuitous way to get to... Yeah, I have no idea why Jimmy Kaufman's listed as the director on one of the trivia links, but that is incorrect. It is, in fact, directed by Martin Wood, who does a great job. Did you see his shots, his tracking shots in this one? There's only a couple of them, but I loved them. Martin Wood's a good director. I just, I can never forget how great his directing was in Gamekeeper. Yeah, that's right. He was the one who did, like, that shot through binoculars and everything, and it was really cool. And did the part where, uh, the the reveal to the loop. Yeah. The reveal of the loop was such great directing that it was, like, dang, you yeah. know? I like his directing style because in the first shot that it really stood out, which is, like, literally the first shot of the uh, show after the title sequence is over. You can tell that he's one of those one of those directors who doesn't feel like you have to be So let's say you like you block out a scene in rehearsal, right? Mm-hmm. Some directors will think, "Okay, that's literally the only way it can work. Anything else is a mistake and we're reshooting, redoing it." I'm not, and I'm not saying that's bad. You know, sometimes they have a really strict idea of what has to happen and that's, you know, fine. Some directors, though, are a little more loose in that and they think best case it goes exactly the way it's supposed to when we have the scene we planned on. Other best case, maybe something else happens in the, during the filming of the scene and it might make the episode better as a result. It depends. This uh, Martin Wood does a great job, I think, of being that looser style one because that first tracking shot that I really lost it on has a char- three characters interacting. One peels off, the other two keep going, go into a hallway full of people, and Hammond accidentally gets brushed by an airman passing by. And I feel like it's really an accident. Like, it doesn't feel like it was planned. And yet, because Donis Davis knows what he's doing, he takes the, kind of like, the the bump in stride and keeps talking. And instead of the scene feeling like it has a mistake in it because of that bump, it feels much more like a busy shot. You know, like where there's a bunch of shit going on right before a potential rescue mission. It really is well done. And that it's those little things that feel a little bit... Just so much more natural. It's actually actually, more abnormal to have everybody perfectly avoiding each other at all times. Here's the thing. Um, That's definitely a a, uh, sign of Martin Wood. Because the other episode that he did that we remember uh, in The Line of Duty, the Jolinar one. Remember the shot of, of Daniel walking past the camera? Oh, yeah, exactly. There you go. See, you are so right. You know, there's there's two kinds of directors in the world. <laughs> they both have traits, but there's the ones with good traits and bad traits. So, you know, there's yeah. there's directors like J.J. Abrams with their motherfucking lens flares. And yeah. then there's 
you know, directors like Martin Wood, who understand what directing actually is. Mm-hmm. And I, I know I, I know I unload on J.J. Abrams a lot, but when your trademark is creating a lens flare, the thing that most cinematographers do their bestest to avoid, I just feel like you're missing the fucking point. Yeah. So yeah, Martin Wood, I, I hope he keeps directing throughout the show. I hope it's not like going to be... I know the last couple seasons aren't great. I hope it's not a result of the fact that all the good writers left between seasons one and eight. Uh, he's still going to be around for a bit. That's good. But I mean, he's not a writer. He's a director. <laughs> oh, sorry. We'll get to... Um, yeah, he's he's in season three. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's in season four. He's in season five. He's He sticks around. He's like Robert C. Cooper, man. That's good. And they seem to pair him with Robert C. Cooper a lot, which is a great combo. Yeah, that's, that's great, because... Yeah, I, I know the last few seasons aren't as good as, you know, the beginning of the show. I know that's also not, you know, in just this show that has that problem. <laughs> but yeah. I really hope that the uh, decrease in quality has more to do with the writers than the directors. Yeah, hopefully. Because at least then we won't be, like, angry at what we're watching on the screen. <laughs> so, yeah, so as usual, we kind of started to describe the episode, but we actually haven't started the episode yet. So let's do that. Well, actually, we got to talk about the writers first. Yeah, so I meant, yeah, that thing. I was going to try and do a transition, but then I wanted to see how if Martin Wood stuck around. So, yeah. it, But on the subject of writers, this is one of those ones where the story concept was created by one person and then the teleplay was written by another. Yeah, I did notice that. And it shows. It shows a little bit. Oh, yeah? Um, yeah, I'll, I, I'll get to it like, I, at the end. It's in my final it. thoughts. But it, the story is by Misha Rashevik. Oh, yeah. I, I, I took a couple passes at that. I, I don't know why. It wasn't like I had anybody around me who speaks Russian and could have corrected me. <laughs> Rashevich? Ra- Rashevich? Misha's Russian. I know. I have known oh, a yeah, bunch yeah. of... I have known at least two Mishas. I almost said a bunch. I've known two. <laughs> two Mishas. Um, a whole bunch! And I've known a... This one I have known a bunch. I've known a Masha, which is, I guess, the female equivalent nickname. Yeah. Yeah, so the story was by them, and the teleplay was by Brad Wright. Brad Wright is so good. I know I looked it up once before a long time ago because I, I remember it has something to do with the fact that we wanted to be sure if we need to be mad at Catherine Powers or not, but I can't remember anymore what the difference is between story and written. Uh, from what I understand, story is like this person comes up with the ideas okay. and then someone like actually writes out the script. Gotcha. Teleplay would be like, this person says this, this person says this. Right. Whereas I think Misha would have been the one who's like, this is the order of events of this story. So he does, like, the outline, maybe, and then Brad Wright creates the whole episode around it? I think so. Okay. You know, I could look it up again, but honestly, I've done enough research today, so... It's fine, ultimately, whatever. Okay, let's start talking about this episode. Yeah, let's do this. Okay, so we open up on on a sun that turns into a, a black hole. <laughs> yes, that is apparently what the CGI was trying to tell us. Yeah, I, I stared at it for a while. It, it, like, took, it took me a couple shots. The only reason I actually figured it out is because I knew what this episode was about. Right. Uh, but they do make a point of showing that it's close to a planet. This and episode then, was really CGI heavy. I wonder why. Uh, and then we cut, presumably, to that planet, and you see an SG team slow motion running um, from something on the planet trying to get home. I, I do love that intro because it creates a gradual reveal. You think it's at first no, I... slow motion, and because, like unless you happen to actually connect all those dots immediately, you're probably thinking that these guys are running in slow motion because the director has a love affair with slow-mo. Yeah, no, I honestly, I think that's a great aspect of it, and I'm giving Martin Wood the credit here for this, for the way, because obviously I'm sure like 
the concept of it was written into the script because the whole point of this episode is like the time dilation shit right but i'm giving martin wood credit for the way he frames it because it absolutely is a kind of like meta opening because it makes you think you're having this stupidly dramatic opening with like the slow and for a brief second before i remembered what this episode was about i'm like this is kind of (laughs) dumb right like oh Calm down. Right, exactly. And then you realize, you're like, oh, wait, no! <laughs> it's actually ingenious. But yeah, it's a great way to, like, actually tell you what's happening. Without telling you. But but playing on the tools of the trade to not tell the audience yet what's actually happening. Yeah, I feel like... I, I can almost sense, like, a petty side story going on with the writing, the creation of this episode, in that this episode flirts heavily with both principles of filmmaking. Not uh-huh. no exposition, you know, letting you figure it out from context, and shit tons of exposition. <laughs> and yeah, I I I think it's because actually, you know what? I take it back. It's not because of pettiness. I'm realizing it's probably because they really knew what they were doing, in that they knew this episode was going to have to have a ton of exposition to explain the the whole science aspect. Yeah. So they wanted to, as much as possible, balance it out. Mm-hmm. And. That's what I get the feel of anyway. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a well-constructed episode. So they're trying to dial home quickly, uh, and we see the leader of the team look up at the sky in concern. Then we're done with that team. <laughs> then we go back to SGC, and this is my first minor problem with this episode. Okay. Jack, out of nowhere, and for no discernible reason... Decides to quiz Sam about wormholes. Here's the thing. Until you just said it, I had kind of compartmentalized in that I loved that scene for its cuteness. And I just now realized, thanks to you, <laughs> the fucking convenient timing of that. Yeah, I don't like it. Why it's, is it's it Why is it just now? Like you oh my God, find him. you're right. I, like, I know why it's here. Uh, I feel like if you take in like 10 more minutes and another pass... Maybe you could have come up with a more natural way to get this dialogue in here. I I can't decide if I'm mad at myself or not for not figuring it out. I have a very valid excuse, which is I was too busy squeeing over it the entire time. Yeah, my note for this is literally Sam asked, oh, Jack asked Sam about wormholes because... (laughs) So first off, first, you're just completely right in that (laughs) there should have been a different kind of pass at it to make it more natural. And I actually, I know what they could have shaved off instead. There's this random scene when they're about to solve the problem at the end, when all of a sudden, just meanwhile, back at the surface, Hammond, who's sipping from a cup of coffee, gets joined by Boy Toy, who just, all he asks is, do you think they'll be successful? And Hammond says, we'll find out. sometime tomorrow. And that's like it. That's so unnecessary as a scene. Can I tell you, I appreciate that you've adopted my nickname for him. (laughs) He's not Simmons, he's Boy Toy. <laughs> I literally had to write it down at one point just so I wouldn't forget that it was Simmons. <laughs> I mean, there's been tons of times where we've like just basically given a guy a name, and that's just his name now, and it doesn't matter what it really is. But yeah, so I, uh, I would have recommended shaving that scene off and yeah. taking that extra two seconds and doing a better, a slightly a natural, yeah, a slightly less forced intro. Because that's, oh God, I can't believe I didn't catch that. I was seriously just so happy about the scene with its cuteness <laughs> that I didn't even care. That's because uh, Amanda Tapping and and Richard Dean Anderson do a great job with the acting, but the lead-in is a little forced. <laughs> I have to say, though, on the squeeze side, I challenge you to, t- to 
prove to me, anybody, that they are not flirting in that scene. See, that's the thing. You could have, like, had a little bit more of a lead-in where it was a little more obvious that Jack was only asking her these questions as an attempt to kind of flirt without it being over. Yeah, and, and I was definitely getting more flirty vibe because, A, they're whispering in their cute little murmur, and yeah. two, he's, like, kind of clearly just baiting her a little bit where he's just, like, like shakes his head and kind of closes his eyes and goes, I'm all right, I can do, you know, do this or whatever, and she <laughs> yeah. goes, and she has a... a amazing smile back at him where she goes okay sir and oh my god their their chemistry is insane there's a reason why i i still ship them how many fucking years later (laughs) and i had to say i definitely had the feeling that they were kind of going again for like the closeness kind of intimacy level there because a there's another scene later that between sam and teal which has a a very similar kind of close feel like everybody doesn't have that same yeah it does not the same kind of the almost you know sexual component to it but yeah, so so A, A, there's that scene. And then B, while this, you know, Sam and Jack scene is happening, Simmons, boy toy, is in the background, which I have to think Poor is important. Boy toy. Yeah, literally. I think that was on purpose just for that purpose. <laughs> just to be emphasizing that the guy who has a crush on Sam Dude. is having to watch her not at all work flirt with her boss. Dude, since message in a bottle, she's like barely looked at poor boy toy. Right? But my two notes before that are Jack, you beautiful simpleton, and <laughs> Sam is so patient. That is my favorite thing about her. Here's the thing. He has a degree in astronomy. Okay. He's playing I, I, dumb. I do remember the astronomy you know, angle, but I thought that he was an amateur uh, astronomer. No, I'm pretty sure he has a degree in it. Huh. I mean, I wouldn't, you, I wouldn't you be against it. You have to have a degree but... to have... Okay, I, I, I don't, I'm not an expert in military stuff, but to get high enough in rank, don't you have to have a degree? You have to have a degree in something, um, I think. Uh, I thought that that's what I'm West Point was sure for, though. I haven't looked into it. I'm pretty... I was raised by pacifists, so I've never really learned anything about the military and its structure. I do, you, I do know that you're right on that form like there has to be there's a difference between enlisted versus officers for example my biggest um explanation i have is based on star trek which is if you don't go to the academy you can't become an officer so that's what that's what i thought like west point was for and shit like that never mind it's just a hobby okay i could have sworn it was a degree i could have sworn he had a degree in it i mean he knows what accretion discs are but he also he knows what terms are so i don't know i mean like a a hardcore amateur astronomer like an like an amateur astronomer who's been to space and so he's like definitely learned some stuff yeah no he Here's the thing. I definitely feel like there's a little bit of him playing stupid in this scene. Oh, again, I buy that too. Yeah. That's, I'm I'm guessing, uh, one of the many things that helped me just completely not notice that this was a forced scene. It was interesting that he was playing dumb. He was, because he was asking questions he's definitely had to have asked before by now. And she's kind of talking to him in that way. That's like, where I was saying like, yeah, she's patient, but also this is a different kind of conversation, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, so basically she does the metaphor. She's like, this is why it's called a wormhole. And does the whole metaphor about a worm coring, uh, coring through an apple. Rather than going through an apple. And then she starts with the simple metaphor. And then immediately starts going into science gobbledygook. Technobabble. And that's where he does like the... Hold on, hold on. Oh. <laughs> Brain melting. And he eventually just taps out. He's like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm out. <laughs> the forcedness of the scene aside, it does set up the continuation, the, the continuity of this episode, which is him telling her to exit out of technobabble mode. Here's the thing. 
I I always enjoy that in episodes when Sam gets excited about something. It's the same as like Daniel getting excited about like uh cultures. Yeah, no, they're I, both I like when either of them get excited about a subject they like and start ranting and mm-hmm. someone has to tell them to stop. Mm-hmm. I do feel like this episode does it like one time too many. They go to the well just one time too many. Just cut one of those out. Anywhere. Just one of those out. It would have been fine. A joke stops being funny if you do it too many times. Maybe that's part of the metaphor, you know, because a married couple has to hear the same uh, same joke over and over again for 50 years. Yeah, but that's the thing. Like, I part of the reason it become it's one too many is that it's not just Jack this happens with. It yeah. happens with Hammond at least twice as well. See, one of the Hammond ones, it was completely well-placed because it's like, yeah, this is not the time to get into it. Just, just solve it, you know? I, I couldn't tell you when. I was like, mm, yeah. stop, please. Yeah. But there was at one point just in the episode where I'm like, okay, just trim one of these out, please. Yeah. Just one of them. <laughs> I, I, be- I definitely agree with you. I could definitely see it not being hurt as an episode if they had taken out at least one. So, uh, so after he taps out of the conversation, an unscheduled incoming traveler alarm happens. Uh, and they start to get a signal coming in, but they're like, it's not recognizable. Yes? So this is actually something I made a note on because I actually, last week, I remember saying to you, because you had told me, hey, this is the episode where they say IDC. And I was like, oh, yay. Oh, no, Mel, that's crap. Because next week, remember how I accidentally watched some of Matter of Time? They call it a GDO. No, they don't. I don't know why. <laughs> I, I conflated. So that's just me correcting myself from last week, which is funny because last go. week I watched right. this early and yet my brain is a special place. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was it. Just yes, wanted to get that so, note out because he does call an iris code in this. Yeah, they do. I don't know, man. <laughs> I think Robert C. Cooper is willing to call him IDCs, and everyone else just has to catch up to him. <laughs> I just want Walter back. Oh, I know Walter. All right, so they get an incoming traveler warning. They have some sort of signal coming through, but they're like, "This isn't a recognizable code from any of the teams." This is where they mention that Daniel's off-world with another team. So pointing this out now, I'm, I have nothing to base this on. I'm just making an assumption based on the fact that we know from trivia that his kid had been born during the filming of one of the previous episodes. Mm-hmm. Based mm-hmm. on how production schedules work, it could, be, it could be possible that he just had paternity leave or something and went home to be with his, you know, girlfriend and kid for a little while. Liz, I need you to understand four notes down from this. My, I have a note that says, was this filmed after Touchstone and Shanks was away because of his kid being born? There we go. Same man. And I also said, maybe this is the cause for it being put before Fifth Race in some of the airings. It's not like a soap opera where, like, you record it one day and then two days later it has to go out or whatever. It's yeah, not one of those no, they have they have a few months between. But there are also, like, production times. Yeah. So, like, if something got filmed beforehand, you have more time to get the production angle on it than another one. So I don't know. It was just a theory. No, that's a good idea. Like, so let's say you know that your significant other is going to be giving birth soon. You tell the production and they go, okay, let's film this episode before the other episode or something. Yeah. And we'll just figure it out. That could totally track because they do change shit up. I know that, I know that they can and do flip that shit up when they have to. Oh, yeah. I mean, sometimes you film... Um, a couple of different episodes at the same time because they're all going to be in the same location or that kind of stuff. I feel like it makes total sense because Daniel isn't necessary for this episode at all. Nope. We love you, Daniel, but no. Yeah, he's not necessary for this episode. Uh, And if we remember Touchstone, we had a theory that some of the issues with it were that they had to pull a whole bunch of Daniel out. 
Yeah, again, that was based on my my idea that on top of that, it had been, it had been intended to be an, an ancient uh, type episode. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. That's that all makes conjecture. sense because, because while Daniel could easily be taken out of this episode, he couldn't as easily be taken out of Touchstone, so it showed a lot more. But you still had to have Touchstone happen before this episode because they referenced the second gate. Yeah. All right, this, so this is now... So had to happen before this. Yep. So, like... There we go. I think they knew that the baby was coming, and so he, like, gave the, the production team the warning. Yeah, advance notice. Like, okay, we have to get Touchstone out before... Because everything else rides on the knowledge coming from the Touchstone episode. Yeah. Like, the... the I've completely forgot. Meaning of Life. Yeah. <laughs> meaning of Life type stuff. That obviously had to... Had to happen before Fifth Race. And then we also had to have it before this one because we of the, the gate. So they had to force Touchstone in there with as little Daniel in there as we could get. But then they probably went straight to this one where they just had Daniel come in at the end for two seconds, you know? Yeah. I mean, it, it makes complete sense. It, based on the limited amount of knowledge I have uh, about this entire process, it makes sense yeah. to me. And if somebody told mm-hmm. me it wasn't, I wouldn't be upset, but I'd like to know what happened instead. Yeah. I mean, hey, it happened to Firefly. That's why it got canceled. It's because every single episode was out of order. Oh, God. <laughs> so the signal isn't rec- a recognized IDC, but Sam asks Boy Toy if she can listen to it. Yeah. Uh, oh. Which is the first sign we get that, like, it's an audio thing. It's also a reminder to me because uh, I, I don't know if I ever actually knew what it was really called. I just assumed IDC was identification code. No, it's iris uh-huh. deactivation code. Makes so much more sense. Which makes sense. Yeah, yeah. As soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, yeah, that tracks. So she has to listen to it, and he plays it through, and it's definitely got, like, a recognizable, like, beat, and, like, yeah. And so she's listening to it, and she's like, huh, can you speed it up? And so he speeds it up, and she's like, speed it up a little bit more. I guess it tracks that she she recognizes RF pulses immediately. I guess it tracks. I I guess. I mean, she does listen for, like... 15 seconds. <laughs> yeah, she just goes, low frequency, intermittent RF pulses. And I was like, okay, it's cool sure. that you know that. I, it, it, it doesn't not she's track, I just... It's fine. There we go. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and she's like, speed it up, up, speed it up more. And then he speeds it up a little bit more. And suddenly it's when you're trying to log into AOL as a kid. <laughs> it's the dial tone. <laughs> Sorry, I just, uh, that, that got me. <laughs> I had flashbacks. Flashbacks, literally, yes. The the sound when I heard it in the episode didn't give me flashbacks, but you saying that, my my mind literally just went, I could feel the whoosh. I could hear it. Mm -hmm. Man, the next generation will never understand. No, no, they won't. (laughs) So, yes. um, And and as soon as it's sped up to the point to where we hear the AOL login sound, um, suddenly... The, the little boxes of the, the numbers for the IDC start to fill out because the computer, As the computer starts to recognize it. it. Yes. Yeah. And it's SG-10. So they say, okay, open the iris, and they leave the iris open, and then Nothing nobody happens. comes through. Oh, sorry. One thing about this scene that I do enjoy is Jack displays... So it's not uncharacteristic of him to be impatient. This is just a slightly different version of it than we've usually seen, where he's yeah. kind of like, he kind of toes the edge with uh, insubordination 
immediately with the an urgency you don't usually see as much with him because he's yeah, kind of like they actually hey, do explain it well later yeah exactly but he's like okay so it's sg10 okay let's get the iris open. he's like forget exactly what he says but he basically says if we don't get that door open right now the next thing you're gonna the hear next thing you're gonna hear is henry boyd's team and it's like i was like i wasn't against what he was saying in the terms because it, it, it wasn't wrong but it mm-hmm. was and I'm not saying it was needless. There was an urgency but to it. There was an antagonism <laughs> to it. That was kind of like, I, and so yeah, it, it wasn't bad. It's really good in terms of characterization. It did strike me. I was like, whoa, he's really uh, fierce all of a sudden because he just goes. He really because he's usually pretty damn good at being respectful to Hammond. Yeah. You know, all of his disrespect is in the friendly manner, usually. This oh, was... Goodness, yes. This was a, this was a jump, I and mean, it's not the usual way for him. So the fact that he was just honestly so angry almost, you know, like the calm anger, but just kind of like, hey, yes, yeah, so let's get the fucking door open before my friend dies. And it's like, okay, <laughs> chill out. The door's opening. I was just doing my job, bitch. You know, it's right? like, I could see Hammond, you know, internally kind of going like, all right, in, you know, his in, in ineffable manner. Yeah. So they... Martin Wood does a good time of showing that uh, a good time, a good job of showing that like decent amount of time has passed with the gate being open, and no one comes through, and eventually the gate closes on its own again, and Jack is immediately like, "We need to go through on a rescue mission." Yeah, there's that urgency. And Hammond's again. like, "Hold up, <laughs> we have to send a probe through first. and he's like, "They could be under attack," and Hammond's like, "Yeah, you could be going straight into an ambush." We're sending a probe through first. It's it's really, really, really mild in terms of slight, you know, rebuke, I guess, on the writing staff. But this is another example of why there should be a better frame of communication between writers for different episodes. Because I feel like it could have been sprinkled in with any number of other episodes, this urgency to Jack when he thinks there's a team that might be stranded. Because it plays really heavily into his backstory and it's been introduced as of uh, the gamekeeper, so there's any number of times that they could have sprinkled some kind of yeah. element of this. And it's not that this is out of left field, because it's not like it's not believable for him. It, but it is a little bit surprising that he's acting like this so suddenly. I will say, like, obviously there's an element of it just for anybody, but I think it's supposed to be especially important in this episode with this team, because we'll find out later on that Jack's the one who recommended the team leader to his post so that so is Jack a good point <laughs> an extra responsibility yeah like he, he'd be concerned about any team being stuck behind but he wouldn't feel as much of a responsibility to a team being stuck on a planet yeah. as he does with this guy okay so i i kind of amend what i say what i'm saying i i, I amend it a little bit in that i feel like it still could have been sprinkled in but i feel like it could have been sprinkled in to help still as a lead-in um in terms of context because yeah, then, no, I, then it would have helped. I don't disagree with you on yeah. that. Yeah. Not that the foundation isn't there. It's just it could have been a bigger foundation if they'd had that sprinkling effect in that it shows that he has a, you know, a general concern for, like, teams that are off-world. But the fact that he's so urgent this time wouldn't be, A, out of left field as much because it would – because, honestly, he doesn't really reflect that immediately when there's yeah. issues with a team. He's just kind of like, okay, so what are we going to do instead of just Unless being – Unless it's his own team. Right, <laughs> right. Um, so if they had sprinkled it in that he can show, like – okay, are we going to do something or something along those lines? But like with less urgency, it could show showcase more in this episode why that urgency is more important or something like that. It's yeah. not that it's flawed for not having it. I just, I could have seen it being a little better if it had happened. So we get a quick bit of uh, exposition about this planet and this 
team that went through as they're preparing the mount to go through. And we find out that the indigenous life on the planet recently became extinct and SG-10 was sent through to figure out why. So first off, this is that whole tracking shot that I love because Sam is part of the conversation with Teal, Hammond, and I think Jack as well. And this whole shot, up until the point where Hammond starts walking up the stairs into the dialing room itself, is just one thing, one long conversation. This is where that bump happens. It's If anyone listening didn't watch the scene in depth, I'd actually recommend going back and seeing it because it's actually really well done. But Sam stops at the mouth itself to talk to somebody. I don't know. But the scene keeps going with Hammond and the others. They keep going and they keep talking. Hammond comes through a doorway, lightly gets brushed. I don't know for sure that it wasn't on purpose, but it feels like it wasn't because it feels really natural. And the entire time this is happening, the conversation doesn't break once. It's just mm-hmm. so natural. And all I could think the very first time was, what the fuck are they unhooking from that mouth? What kind of fuel does it use? Because I wasn't expecting it to look like jet plane fuel. Huh. I don't know, man. It was like these big tanks, and it had like this really hefty silvery, um, silver hose thing, and it, it looked really um intense. And I was kind of like, "What the fuck is this thing powered on?" Steam power. You know, I feel like that's not it, but you never know. But yes, yeah, so that you that was that know. shot. I just wanted to hit on it again because it was really well done. And if it wasn't on accident, um, sorry, if it was on accident, it I think it's a testament to a the director letting it happen and letting it you know continue to flow, and Donis Davis for not being even slightly phased by it because he doesn't even break his sentence. Yeah, man, uh, this team, like the actors uh, and the directors, because obviously you have to have a the byplay on both sides, is really great with just going with the flow with the surprise and just making it work really well. Yeah. Like the the bit at the end of Bane with Daniel and Teal in the water gun. How they both just kind of kept it together. Especially Michael Shanks, who wasn't expecting it to happen. But yeah, uh, so... Uh, Jack seem, and this is where we find out that the reason, part of the reason that Jack is so anxious about getting through is that he recommended SG-10's leader to the command. Yeah. On that element as well, by the way, this entire scene, even though it does break into two shots as they enter into the dialing room, it's really well done because it it does show the hustle and bustle of the mountain complex, you know, as a whole, really well because, as I said, everybody's busy, everybody's doing shit, and during this whole conversation, in the background, you start to hear the uh, gate begin to dial. So it has this oh, yeah. really good overlapping where it's no one's waiting for it, it. It's always unnatural when everything always waits until the character gets into the place. It's like, okay, did we, no one, no one thought to do this ahead of time. Like there was no preparation. Why does everything have to be for the audience? It can be for the audience if it's in a good way like this with overlap, you know, you can do it. Mm-hmm. You can do it without it being, you know, forced, for example, or whatever. And what I was thinking about, it, it led me into my second thought, which was, I love how Sam really is confident in how the gate works, because I don't give a fuck. I don't care how much I know for a fact that gate isn't going to engage until it's completely dialed. It hits Chevron 6, and she's still on the ramp with the mouth. Yeah. And I'm just laughing, because I would have already been hella nervously Running. shuffling away. I've just been like, just, no, 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 scuffle, 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 scuffle. Just nope, 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 nope. But no, 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 she just nonchalantly walks off. They witnessed someone get vaporized by an opening gate at one point. Right? So, like... Yeah, she doesn't have the nervous disposition that I have. Let's put it that way. Yeah. But yeah, so they say their thing, uh, and Jack, yes. Jack does uh, mention that he was the one who recommended Boyd. Yeah. Uh, and then they send the mouth through, and they get the... They start to get the feed coming through, and for one thing, it's it seems to just be, like, red. They're like, that's just red. You can see, like, kind of, like, vague shadows in stuff. the red, but it's it's red. And it also seems to be a still image. 
And um, Sam tells Boy Toy to change the wavelength of the image and compares it to how they had to change the IDC code coming in so it could be recognizable. She mentions, like, redshift red wavelengths. And, yeah, she mentions stuff. that it looks like it's redshift, which is correct. Redshift, yeah. <laughs> which is, what, like, for example, when you're on Earth and you're looking at, you're looking through a telescope, if something appears to be red, it's because it's moving away from us. Yeah. Redshift. Uh, so... He starts to change the stuff, and then suddenly SG-10 team becomes visible uh, on the map and seems to be running away from something in the image. This is one of the few goofs that's actually accurate for this, which is at one point, Henry Boyd is clearly looking up at the... uh... The su- the, the, well, because we don't know that, yeah, but yeah, looking up at, up at the sky, and then later, the next shot, he's going to be full-on, like, uh, Weeping Angel style staring at the screen. <laughs> and, well, I know they did that because of dramatic purposes, they kind of yeah. forgot how they, I think it was a continuity issue, I think it was maybe, like, a production a post-production issue, too, like, because I don't know if people are looking at the pictures we see when they're filming. I never know, yeah. because back then, didn't cameras used to pick up that stupid, uh, black line shit moving up on the screen when they recorded computers. Wasn't that still a thing? Yeah, no, they would, <laughs> they would have to put the image in later. Um, but yeah, so then we find out from Boy Toy that in the past six minutes, they've only received 11 frames from the mouth, which represents a fraction of a second. And uh, Jack is immediately again like, send me through. And Sam's like, no, no, no. Oh, I no. love how she says it because once they figure it out, because he was waiting for him and said, well, we have to figure out what's going on. And then as soon as they see what's happening, Jack's like, okay, cool, let's do it. And he goes, um, a permission to, you know, mount a rescue. And literally before Hammond could even say negative or positive, I guess, affirmative, sorry. Um, uh-huh. Sam says, positive. <laughs> yeah, right. Sam says negative, sir. She's the one who interjects because yeah. obviously it's, you know, her know-how. But I do like how Hammond doesn't even, obviously does a bit of a surprise face at her, like, what? But not like an excuse me, but just a, I'm, yeah. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> because these men aren't afraid of being challenged for their position it's almost like they know that if somebody is saying negative it's because there's a reason yeah how shocking weird but yeah so she's like hey shift the camera on the mouth up because she's like they're obviously looking up at something i want to see what they're looking up at she already has a suspicion but she just needs to confirm it so then they shift the mouth camera up at the sky to reveal a black hole when will okay, sci-fi learn? Rant. When will sci-fi learn? When will sci-fi learn? You cannot see black holes. The reason why they're a black hole is because they're going... It literally has gravity so strong that nothing can escape it. Light included. You cannot see a black hole. You can see what a black hole does to the stuff around it, but you cannot see a black hole. And it drives me crazy when sci-fi ignores that fact. Because yeah. I know they want to show a cool picture and all that shit. I get it. But this isn't Galaxy Quest where the whole thing's a parody. So anything you do wrong could technically be chalked up to, well, it's a parody. <laughs> and, that episode, and, and that movie has its own problems in the sense that they use the fucking uh, black holes as a literal conduit in space to travel through as if that's how that works. So, yeah, that's the only one I give a pass to. Everybody else, I hate you. You hate Stargate? I hate the person who thought it'd be a cool picture. You know, some there's there's some certain glass CGI later that it could use a lot of work. You could have saved who knows how much money on that stupid black hole picture. Potentially that budget could have been put into making that glass look even 1% more like actual glass. Mm-hmm. So uh, Sam explains that the closer you get to a black hole, um, the more time slows down. And um, basically, you know, points out exactly what's happening to SG-10 on the planet or whatever. And Hammond's like, hey, what'll happen to them? 
and Sam starts to do the science babble, and Hammond's like, just... English. I don't need that right now. This isn't the time for that. What will happen to them? And she says their bodies will be ripped apart by tidal forces. Spaghettification is my fucking nightmare. Anybody who wants to look into why, uh, consider yourself warned. Just If you don't know, consider yourself lucky and, and leave it at that. Seriously, I... I, I <laughs> No, spaghettification is terrifying as, a, as an idea. Mm -hmm. um, I, I would hope to be ripped apart on any level before that. Like, let's say my planet got ripped apart and my body just literally got, you know, however, however that would happen, whether it be yeah. pulverization or whatever. I would take any manner of painful deaths over spaghettification. That being said, I could listen to Amanda tapping Technobabble at me all goddamn day. <laughs> I, I, anybody who has an issue with the uh, exposition in this episode, I, I understand that as an idea. I usually am somebody who bitches to high heaven about exposition. And yet, when it's her, I don't give a fuck. I mm -hmm. could, I, I, maybe it's just because I'm in love with her. I don't know. But I, I, yeah, I'm here for it. Yeah. So um, Hammond's like, okay, close, close the gate. Uh, and Sam starts to try to argue for, like, the chance to see a black hole in action. And Jack immediately shuts that down. She, he's like, we are watching good men die in slow motion. And then that's kind of like breaks her out of her like science haze. And she's like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> you know, I don't know if I'm mad at it or not as a, as a, as a writing idea, because I guess it could make sense. I just, I guess I can't, I, I can't think of it that way. Whereas so I know that Sam is really well done as a character because she's both, she's very well developed as in she's both very science focused and yet people who have a problem with it aside, I could see it being annoying because of traditional values, but fuck it. She's also the caring, empathetic one who has, a, you know, a, a heart on the inside. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's just because she's the girl. I think it's just because it's an element of Sam. Yeah. These are the moments though that kind of, I don't know if it's a good example of characterization or a mistake because I can't see the caring elements that we've seen of Sam. I know we've seen elements where she definitely goes into science mode and forgets how life is, but would this have been one of them? Because she literally just finished talking about how these people were in for a really shitty death and then goes, so this is a really good opportunity to watch something like this. <laughs> and I'm like, um, uh, that feels like a level of disconnect that's even now. That, that, I feel like that level of disconnect's a little outside the realm of her character, but I also could just be wrong in that I'm, you know, giving her more credit because I'm in love with her. <laughs> Yeah. So you tell me. I'm not sure. Was I reading it wrong? I don't know. It could go either way, honestly. Okay. That was it. Sometimes you just get kind of, you're not thinking. So she's like, yeah, you're right. Like, okay, let's shut it down. Uh, so they try to shut the gate down, but it won't disengage. Oops. Yeah. And then we cut to outside of the mountain up top and we suddenly see, this is, this is another one of those instances here you were talking about at the in beginning of us recording about how this episode goes between a lot of exposition and nothing. And this is one of those where like it opens up and you just see like the outside of the mountain, you see a whole bunch of like military vehicles zoom up and like park and like everyone's getting out and like aiming guns at the What mountain. seems like, what like is the, going on? It seems like the world's biggest overreaction at first. Yeah, it's like what? And then you find out after like 30 seconds of setting this scene that apparently SGC has been out of contact for four hours now and the last transmission they did get was really weird and slowed down. I actually just remembered what I, what I first thought when I saw that scene. I thought that I had accidentally hit a button on my computer and skipped episodes. I thought I had started another episode. I was like, oh shit, why are we watching an intro scene? What, what, what? Oh wait, no, this is, 
this is the episode. Okay. <laughs> That's funny. I, I do appreciate their epically violent response <laughs> to the idea of I understand it's because the gold are terrifying and we just, you know, and recently in their timeline they had a full scale almost attack on the planet. I get their level of paranoia and I am totally not dissing them wanting to protect the planet with a fierce level of violence. Yeah. But the epicness of this like the amount of guns that become present in such a short amount of time is I mean, I know it's going for intense. I guess it just, you know, I guess my overreaction here to it is success. Mm-hmm. It's one, it's <laughs> one gate and it's in a mountain. Even if there's a ton of them, they're, they're going to be bottlenecked because it's a mountain. Yeah. Uh, so we get like a SWAT-like team that's planning to rappel down a shaft into the mountain. And we get our first um, reveal of Commando Dickhead, as I've named him. Funny thing about him is he, this was, uh, I guess, his year, uh, because Marshall Teague was in Armageddon as, like, the same character. Mm, that's who he plays. He plays Commando Dickhead. Yeah, I mean, I do appreciate, they actually did a really good job trying to do several episodes worth of character development in one episode for him. Because they tried yeah. their best to show various yeah. levels to his character. And it wasn't like they didn't achieve it as an effect overall. Except that when you're only given one glimpse into each piece, it's still just a small picture at the end. So he is still yeah, mostly I'm primarily say, Commander O'Dick. I'm going to say right here now, uh, I'll get more into it when we get there. But I feel like the resolution of his, his storyline is one of the weakest points of this episode. No shit. Thank you, God. Yeah. I'm glad you think that, too. Because I was like, wait, what? Like, to re reference something I said last episode, it's always a little annoying when they just yeet something out that's been the whole premise up until this yeah. point. I mean, I know that and his character wasn't the premise, but You know what it kind of reminds still. me of? And it's not going to make any sense until we actually get to the point of it, but I'm going to talk about it anyway for a second here. It's where you build up this concept, and then at the end of the episode, you don't talk about it at all. No, because they were more and focused on their atonement me shit. Of distinctly is an episode of Pokemon that I watched from other podcast recently, where at one point the Pokemon get separated from the humans, and we actually get some scenes where we can hear what the Pokemon are saying, which is really cute because you're getting like real ideas of their personalities from it. But one of the things you find out is that one of Ash's Pokemon, Bulbasaur, is immediately willing to believe that. Ash has abandoned them. Oh, I think I think I remember you telling me about that, which is like doesn't make yeah, any sense. Yeah, which when you know his personality, it's like okay, I, and like his backstory, it's like okay, I understand why he'd be the one to doubt and he'd be the one to immediately be willing to think that this is a thing. But like, what needed to happen at the end of the episode was at least five seconds between Ash and Bulbasaur, where you just got like that confirmation of no, Ash is always gonna find you, Ash is always gonna come back for you, something. But you don't get that. You just get Bulbasaur saying, I bet he abandoned us, and Pikachu saying no fucking way, and then they reunite at the end, and that's it. And it's never addressed again. Yeah, it's like, what? <laughs> yeah, that's... You, you don't get to bring that up and then not talk about it. You remember how mad I, it's funny, Eric walked out of Lucy, and I don't, I don't walk out of movies if I can avoid it, it's like, fuck it, I spent, yeah. I spent money, I'm gonna do this, I can, I can stick it out. I almost walked out of Pacific Rim too. You remember how mad I was? We remember, we saw it together in the theater, and I was, I was yeah. so, I was so mad, that movie was so bad, and it, it got, it, it just, and it, it's, it was so bad, ah, uh, 
anyway, I remember thinking, having to like hold it in until the movie was over. And I remember kind of like, people were kind of giving me looks because I was like having a hard time with volume control too at the end because I'd been holding it in for so long. But they kept setting up this fucking element with one of the um, new recruits talking about military funerals and like the kind of, you know, the grandiosity that comes with them, the parades and all that shit. And then that's the guy who ends up getting killed. And then the, and then the movie just ends when when they, I, I can't remember exactly what the ending was. I know it's on a mountain. I was already tuned out by then. It was a bullshit ending to yeah. a bullshit movie. But they don't even address the dead recruits. They don't address any of them. And there's this entire build-up scene with dialogue about a character who t- is talking about a, a, a hero's death who then dies a quote-unquote hero's death and then... And they don't And they don't even... Ta- like, they don't even give a moment to the aftermath in the movie. It's literally just done. Remember how surprised I was? I was like, wait, that's... I remember whispering to you, oh god, now we're gonna do like 20, 30 minutes of bullshit military parades. And then the, episode, and then the movie just ended and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> like, wait, what? Hold up. Wait, what the f- Is this like Monty Python? Did they run out of money? Like, what, what happened here? Like, what? I, I, so yeah, I, um, yeah, I, I feel your pain with the, with the drop shit. It's, it's, it can be painful. This, yeah, this episode, I don't think it was painful, it but it was close. Finish it. Yeah, that Bulbasaur one, that's kind of dumb. Especially for like a kids-oriented kind of storyline. <laughs> like, know, where inner like... pain should be definitely addressed, not just ignored. Yeah, five seconds. Five seconds! Whatever. Was this the scene with, um, when, so Colonel Dickhead was introduced. Oh crap, I gotta say it real fast then. One thing I did love about Colonel Dickhead's introduction is, so first he comes in on the, the guy who's stationed. I was gonna call him an airman again, but I don't know if he was in the Air Force. I don't know what the military response, I don't know if the military response has to be within the same branch of the military. So whatever soldier was posted there, Dickhead walks up and goes, you know, how long's it been? And you know how many hours it's been, but stuff was uh, funky before that, and he just immediately turns on him and goes, "I'm sorry, is funky part of military terminology?" And I was like, "Yes, yes, it is. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. This is a fact." I know. Yes. I was like, "Leave him alone." But while I was laughing about that and writing a note on it, then I heard the next bit, which was, "It sounded slow, like when the battery is dying on your Walkman." And I had to take <laughs> a moment to feel old because that's a very old sentence. It is a very old sentence. You're not wrong. So, Commando Dickhead is going to go rappel down the shaft. Uh, meanwhile, we go back down into SGC, and Hammond tries to call his BFF the president, but can't seem to get through. Let me know when we get to the scene where they're trying to pull the, the thingy, the conductive interface off the gate. The what? Um, it's when they're trying, Siler's trying to unplug the gate, basically, but not, not, the, not the later part where he's trying to unplug it with the breakers. There's a scene where Sam says we're trying to pull off the superconductive interface, and he's, like, he's up I on a ladder. I believe it's right now, okay. because it's, Sam is talking to Siler, is talking Siler through potential solutions until it goes to help him. There we go, yeah. Yeah, it's this, it's the exact next scene. <laughs> so I'm still getting ahead of myself, but my intervals are getting smaller. There you go. Progress. Anyway, uh, so this... Could have been worse. <laughs> this is a great, this is a great note because it actually comes into play like a few scenes later, even more so as a problem. They're dealing with, as she says, super conductive interface, which to me implies heavy amounts of electricity. Mm-hmm. People who work on power lines, they dress in these silver uh, metal suit things so that if current were to, you know, if they were to get hit by current, it travels through the suit and around them more than in them so that they don't oh, yeah. die. He's not properly He's dressed. He's literally wearing a pair around. of gloves and nothing. And I make a note about it where I'm, I literally say here, da, 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 da. I got, I'm not saying it's 
officially a mistake, but I guess I feel like pulling the superconductive interface on the Stargate while it's still active is just begging to get shocked. Like, why isn't Sadler wearing any of the gear that people who work on power lines wear? And then, in a few fucking scenes, he gets electrocuted while working <laughs> on breakers, which made me just go, see? <laughs> see? Why? 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 He's a, f- he's, he's your on-site mechanical You're so engineer. right now, I'm not Oops. hearing any of it. But yeah. Zoom has decided to cut out all of what you just shouted. I also got further away so I wasn't going to make the mic go spiky. What I what kills me about is this base has a shit ton of different kinds of equipment down there for all kinds of situations that might come up. They definitely have to have access to one of those kinds of suits. And Siler is their head mechanical engineer. So it literally makes no fucking sense that he's not in one of those fucking suits, except for the fact that they want him to get hurt for dramatic purposes in this episode. Yeah. And, and it would only make sense for the later scene to happen if he's not already wearing the suit in the first scene. So this entire thing had to have been done just for the sake of convenience, which just bugs me because you're watching a guy literally hear the words superconductive interface and he's just like, nah, it's, it's just, it's stuck. Like he's just going <laughs> at it. He's just going at it like his life isn't, you know, super in danger from all of the massive amounts of electricity flowing through that thing. It's those little things that either make or break a scene for me, and that just pisses me off because it's, I I have to believe, I I can't see any other reason for it. It has to be just because they want him to get hurt later for the dramatic stuff. And if he's already wearing the suit, then why wouldn't he be wearing it then? So, meh. I see what you did there, and I still hate it. Meh. I see see what you did there. I, I get what you were doing, production. Directors and I don't agree with and you. costume people. I, I I see your plan and I say fuck you. I don't know. I'm not saying I have a better way of doing it for him getting him getting hurt in a natural <laughs> way, but meh. I don't know. So yeah, they talk about how the gate has been open longer than they previously believed was possible, and Sam hypothesizes that since time is moving differently on the planet, the gate has created a paradox it wasn't designed for. I had to watch this scene twice because the first time I could only uh just I had to revel in the fact that. The director proved there's a way to do angled cinematography without upskirting. <laughs> and I was like, oh, look, 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 look. He knows what he's doing and isn't a pervert. Yay! Because her crotch isn't the focus, even though her movement up the stairs is the focus of the angled shot. Yep. It's better. It's, it's not just, you know, more respectful. It's also just literally better for quality purposes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, and then we see that the gate, like the, the blue stuff in it, uh, is starting to spin clockwise. And supposedly it's been doing that ever since Hammond tried to call the president. And he mentions that he didn't manage to get through. And this is when Boy Toy says that they... I didn't quite get... I rewound like twice and I didn't really understand what he was saying specifically. But more or less he's saying we've lost communication. He says like the low... Oh, I guess he's saying that like the parts they're in... Okay, I, I suddenly get it. He was basically saying, yeah, in the lower part of the mountain, we can't get through. Sorry, so say, say all that one more time. My brain got a little bit confused. <laughs> yeah, it, like it's like when I was trying to take this note originally. After Hammond mentions that he wasn't able to get through to his BFF, the president, right. then Boy Toy says something along the lines of, we've lost communication all in the sub-levels, blah, 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 blah. And then from what Hammond says next, I have now figured out, he was basically telling Hammond, yeah, under the mountain, we can't get a line out. Right, okay. And then Hammond's like, where is the next secure line that I can call out to? And he's like, oh, on like the NORAD level, you gotta go up, up that high. Right. And so Hammond's like, okay, I'm gonna go do that, because I need to call my BFF. 
And so he leaves. You see him? I just had a flashback to teenage years. My BFF, Jill. (laughs) Yeah, his BFF, the president. He's got to call him. So Jack floats the idea of just pulling the plug. They're like, well, if we just go to the breakers, then we can just shut them off. So Jack and Skylar go to start flipping power switches in the breaker room. Okay, Um, okay, 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 okay. So there's a lot wrong with that because as that's (laughs) happening, as they're going to flip switches, there's a bunch of people in the gate room, right? Yeah. And motherfucking Sam has sends people to the breakers because she's like, you need to go, go for it, go do it. So she's very much aware that people have a couple of seconds before breaker team makes it to the breakers. And yet she, she waits until those motherfuckers are flipping said breakers before she shouts into the embarkation room, everybody scram. She waits until it becomes a problem. And I'm just kind of like, why? Is is it because you wanted to have a, a dramatic shot of electricity arcing through the air? while people run like frightened mice is that what it is i feel like it is don't know man don't yeah know. it just cracked me up because i love how it as soon as they start flipping breakers then she says it and i'm like wait why weren't people already evacuating did she wait until they got there yeah that was kind of like okay come on <laughs> it was silly yeah and, and my next note was and that is exactly why you wear that protective gear i mentioned above <laughs> yep because what happens so Siler gets shocked while they're doing flipping the switches uh, and while he's doing that, while Siler gets shocked, the gate also blows up a little bit and gets Teal'c. So those are giant ass breakers, and I totally am fine with all the people who got electrocuted getting electrocuted, because, sure. Mm-hmm. But I do like how the handy plot armor protects Jack, who's equally unprotected right? in that scene. You know what would have been really great is you could have had that protective gear. I was gear. the same thing. I'm yeah. like, but Jack's there too, yeah. and he didn't get yeah. shot, whatever. I mean, I know it's all random, and technically, you know, it's it's not like outside the realm of possibility but what i think could have happened there instead was you have like a set of that protective gear i mentioned but let's say for some reason there's only one set and let's say siler was wearing it earlier and took it off and then she sends the team and let's say they didn't know siler was coming with jack just runs there ahead of time grabs the jacket has it on maybe then siler gets electrocuted and not jack and then it's all set up even better yeah sure but But it doesn't happen that way (laughs) but no instead siler gets a big ol' arc to the face yeah. So, sorry, what's I gotta yell at? Okay. Uh, so after that little attempt, the gate is still running. Yeah. Um, and Sam theorizes that it's pulling power from the black hole now. Two things there. One, by the way, she tells everyone to scram. Tilk waits around for extra long for some reason, and that's the only reason why he gets shocked. He's literally just hanging out on the fucking ramp after everyone's gone, and then starts to run. So that's weird. Two, I was my I actually had written a note. I'm sorry. In what universe does it make sense that the gate is pulling power from the black hole? You'll notice there's already a link posted in the show notes because it turns out somebody's already done that math and it par- and somehow it works. I didn't really read oh, okay. into it. I was just happy to see that somebody already solved that problem for me and I've just included the link, which is... It, yeah, yes, I just decided to believe they, they knew what they were talking about. I'm like, sure, okay. <laughs> then we get a shot of, as they're, they're, they're putting out the fires in the gate room and everything, um, and while they're do- dealing with that, and, you know, rushing to deal with Siler's injury and Teal'c's injuries and everything, we see that the gate is now pulling the smoke out of the room and through it, and that gets Sam to have a thought, and so she walks up to it and pulls out her dog tags and, like, holds it up near it so that, like, the the pull from it pulls the dog tags directly out of her hands. And I made a note here where I'm like... 
Um, she loses her dog tags, which means no one will know her blood type in a medical or emergency anymore. Rip. <laughs> nice. That's uh, that's pretty good. Mine was a little bit more um assholeish in that Sam's dog tags respond to gravity, but Sam, her hair, her clothes, nothing else about her responds to gravity apparently. Because even her hair doesn't wisp towards the gate or anything. I was wondering if it was more at that point. See, that's the thing because she did her dog tags, and I was wondering if it was more of a magnetic thing at that point. I think the implication was more like a mass just... thing. Actually, now that I'm saying yeah, it, because the, dag- no, the, the dog tags do have more mass than her like hair. But still, I feel like definitely... part of something else would have been definitely attracted at that you know proximity. Yeah. No, you're not wrong. I definitely think that was the the goal of it, like the the communication of it or whatever. I just I think the reason I thought magnetic was because of primeval. <laughs> oh yeah, that totally tracks. That completely makes sense. I just connected primeval to mm-hmm. it. Is all. No, that, that, they, that they makes do sense. the exact same kind of shots in primeval yeah. with magnetic stuff. That thank you. So. That's why that shot looks so weirdly familiar. <laughs> I couldn't figure out what it was. I was like, why does this feel like a callback to something? It isn't. It's uh, just because familiar. Because primeval used it for jokes. Yeah, a lot. that's what it was. Okay, I, thank you. Like that, Connor losing yeah, pins. Right. The, always. Yeah. Yeah. Portals. Or the time he almost got beamed in the head with kitchen equipment. Yeah. That's kind of the one I was thinking of. I was just like, why does this feel like a callback? And that it's not. It's just close to something else. It's primeval, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, she, as soon as she figures out, you know, confirms her theory, she's like, she runs away from the gate. And she starts yelling for the iris to get closed. Physics doesn't work like that. Closing the iris would not have slowed it. it but, sh- 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 <laughs> so, Boy Toy is like... It's it's an outgoing gate. Nothing can come through. And she's like, except for the black hole's gravity. Also, radio waves, dumbass. Yeah, right. Like, what do you think Um, you're, how do you think you're receiving telemetry from that mouth? Listen, he's not a scientist. Yep. But. Leave him alone. He's just a dumb, handsome boy. To be fair, if I were, if I were in close proximity to Amanda Tapping, I probably would also be talking stupid. (laughs) But yes, uh, so he he closes the iris. He's like, oh, shoot, okay. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, we go back to the top of the mountain uh, where Hammond comes out of an elevator to a squad of military types. And, and then my note says, and dot, dot, dot. Is that Paul? <laughs> what? I don't know why, but I just got so excited to confirm that Paul Davis is here now. <laughs> I like how you know his first name. I knew I knew Davis. Don't get me wrong. No, I have no, I have a I special don't know. I, I can't tell you. I, I like I, can't I like explain. Davis as much as the next person, but I didn't think of him as Paul. <laughs> that was my first time. Is that Paul? Is this as close as we'll get to a, you having a crush? No. I don't know why. I just got excited to see him in this show. Like I said, it's as close as we'll get. It's Paul Davis showing up is the exact opposite of Mayborn showing up. <laughs> Whenever Mayborn shows up, it's like, God, oh, God damn, damn it. it. Get the <laughs> fuck out of here. But Paul Davis shows up and it's like, hell yeah. Yeah, I, I, I didn't make a note. I just, I, I remember seeing him. Again, again this wasn't as, as, as big of a thing for me. I remember going, God, I remember you. I think, okay, I, I think my excitement was, A, I didn't realize he showed up this early in the show. Honestly, that's quite what it was. I was like, I was like, oh, hey, I didn't know you came this soon. I thought I was going to have to wait years for you. And B, I also have um, really positive associations with him because of the fact that I'm pretty sure, if I'm not remembering this incorrectly, he has a pretty good relationship with Daniel down the line. Because they do a lot of the diplomatic stuff. I, 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 it's not that I don't remember. It's just that everybody 
has a good relationship with Daniel, so I can't really pull it apart. But he's not, my thing is that he's not the main team, but I, in my head at least, I remember them being, like, friendly with each other. Yeah, I do, the reason why I remember him at all is because I liked how he was one of the few who fit within the GI kind of type without being a GI asshole. Yeah. Because they always are tropey, except for Davis. Davis defies the trope. No, Davis is great. That's why I was excited to see him. I'm like, Davis is here. Although I called him Paul, which is why my note, because he introduces himself as Davis first, and I'm like, it is it is Paul Davis, right? I'm pretty sure this is Paul. <laughs> but yeah, so he tells Hammond that a special forces squad was sent down before they figured out what was actually happening down there, because they thought it was a foothold. Real quick, real quick, um, and, before you describe it, I just gotta say, during yeah. this whole entire dialogue scene, I love it because Davis is, has to try no less than three times to get Hammond out the door, but Hammond just goes, nope, keep talking. He talks a little bit. Nope, keep yeah. talking. He talks a little bit more. Nope, keep talking. Talks a little bit more. Lead the way. And it's like, and bitch, you were the obstacle. And then BFF, the president, <laughs> yes. and then Hammond's willing to go. Yeah, but yeah, I just wanted to put that out there because as this dialogue's yeah. happening, it's just, again, really good construction. And it's, and it's also because Paul's, like, so patient with him the whole yeah, exactly. fucking time. Exactly, that's what like, I was saying. Yeah, the construction's great. The dynamic is great. Because Hammond's not being, like, you know, overtly, you know, like a, like a dick about it. But he's just like, no, son, we're not going anywhere until I know what's happening. All right, yeah. sir, we have this bit of information. <laughs> Let's get going. No, I need to know more. Okay, sir, there's this other stuff going on as well. <laughs> Can we go now? No, I need to talk to the president. Sir, yeah, he's waiting for you. you. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, okay, and cool, let's go. Says, yeah. <laughs> Your BFF wants you to come fly to see him in person. <laughs> I think my happiness was so wrapped up in the in how well done it was that I kind of it overshadowed my happiness with Davis. But honestly, it wouldn't have worked if Davis hadn't been part of it. So it is yeah. it is nice to see he's him. He's great. He's excellent. He's a great element of the episode, and he's a great introduction to the show. So we had such a great scene there. So of course we gotta deal with Commando Dickhead, who we we see Janet walking down a hallway. We find out to go to a medical emergency yeah. to deal with Siler yeah. and Teal and everything. But as she's walking down the hallway, she sees like uh, welding, type welding shit. coming through one of the walls, and she's like, "What the hell?" And then the commandos come out and pull guns on Janet. The fucking nerve! She handles herself how so well. Dare they? Yeah, I love how mad she gets at that. Like, what do you do? She's like, she acts like, uh, kind of like a mom. She's just like, how, you should be ashamed of yourselves waving all these guns around. I and know. It's like, you're in a military base. I fucking love it. She's also, just you're like, in the military. She, she expects fucking respect. And hell this yeah. Man is not giving it to oh, her. Hell no. No, I, yeah, it's, it, yeah. She's, she's great. Can I marry Terrell Rothery? Do you think she's open to that? <laughs> she's great. She's excellent. She's barely in this episode, but her bits in this episode. She's just, yeah, she won't let this man, like, intimidate her whatsoever. Even when he's got a fucking gun pointed at her face. She's just like, I have a medical emergency I am responding to. Every time she's on screen, you have no problem believing that she's a doctor. Mm Because it always comes across. It's that almost dumb level of persistence where they're just kind of like talking back to people with guns because they have people to save. It's that yeah, exactly. inherent respect that you you also know everyone has for healers in general, which is, I'm not a threat, I'm the opposite of it, and I need you to fucking move. Yeah. So basically, she's like, you know, basically insists, hey, I'm gonna go do this. You could follow me with your fucking guns, but I'm gonna go do this. So they're, they're basically escorting her to 
her medical emergency. A- after Colonel Dickhead goes, from what I've read about this place, you could be one of the aliens that might have invaded. Yeah, yeah. He's 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 Commander Dickhead. It's fine. So we go back up uh, and to Paul explaining to Hammond about their theory uh, of SGC experiencing time dilation and attributes the cause to either extreme gravity or velocity near the speed of light. And Hammond's like, yeah, it, it's the black hole, blah, blah, blah. And Paul's like, yeah, we figured that out hours ago. <laughs> yeah, also, I I don't know what the fuck was going on with the dialogue in the scene because he goes, short, uh, a little over 10 minutes ago, we established contact via, via gate. And yet, like, two scenes before, he and Sam were just talking about how it's been past the 38 mark on the gate. And yet it hasn't closed. So it's like, wh- 10 minutes uh, approximate to what? Like, what? You yeah, literally just talked that's about- wrong. What? That's wrong. That's not even that close to right. That's mm. like, that's, that's, that's Jimmy Kaufman directed this episode levels of wrong. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. That's just wrong dialogue. Wow, okay. Maybe it's 10 minutes ago that we realized we couldn't close it? I could see it being the the right the whoever wrote the dialogue. I could see it being a mistake on that level, which is they yeah. were thinking of it's been ten minutes since that conversation where I found yeah, out maybe. we can't ship. Yeah, I okay that 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 tracks a little. That that can make sort sense. Of, it's still sure, a, an error, but at least it makes sense as it's to definitely the an error. source. Because yeah, it's it's just a weird fucking error. So basically, you know, they're rushing Hammond out to try and find a solution. Yeah. Is the the long and short of it. With some super so grainy uh, stock footage of a plane taking off. Yeah, so we go back down into the mountain. Teal and Siler are being treated, uh, and the whole mountain seems to shake. And Sam says it's gravity waves. And Sam says that the same thing happening on the, the other planet is going to eventually start happening on this planet, too. Like, it's just going to keep feeding through and pulling closer and closer. So basically, they've got a time limit. This is where I started to black out, by the way, on, on the math implications. I was like, wait, wouldn't it just affect the entire planet? It literally, there's so many variables that are all dependent on information we don't have about how the wormholes yeah. work and how the gates work. So I just gave up. So Commando Dickhead uh, with Janet finds Jack. Who does who not look immediately happy. is like, go, go, go do your work. You know, Janet, like, freeze Janet from Commando Dickhead. Like, go, go do what you were planning to do. I'll deal with this asshole. It, it is an extra element of dickishness to Commando Dickhead because he doesn't take Janet at her word that she's who she says he is. She, who, that she's who she says she is. But he cool. immediately believes it's but Jack. But he sees Jack and goes, oh, yes, a man. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know it's, there's actually really nothing to s- imply that it has anything to do with sexism because he reacts around other characters later with no real degree of it. So I, it could just be me reading into that as a social, as a social justice warrior, but seriously, <laughs> it's irritating as fuck that he has no problem believing Jack is as word. I, I, the only thing I can think of that might make it less annoying is that it's not just Jack. You can see people running around behind him. So maybe the guy was under the impression, well, if he's one of them, they're all one of them because there's a bunch of them yeah. right here. Like, it's not like this one getting away is really going to affect my odds. So that's the only thing I can see going for him that's not sexist because it's otherwise just really stupid that he had was super fucking assholeish to Janet for no reason, but then uh-huh. sees Jack. Somebody who, by the way, if he was, like, let's say old friends with him, I would be even more suspicious of him if I was worrying about alien invasion because that mm-hmm. would mean I'd have to look out for all these little details I know about him. I'd be on alert. But no, 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 no. Yeah. He does the opposite. He just relaxes all, you know, worry, which is, like, just, ugh. I, nah, it annoys me. Yeah, I like this because Jack basically out-dickheads Commando Dickhead to let Janet get out of it. <laughs> 
just like faces off against him like go on get out i'll deal with him i like how it could be construed that she trusts him and is like okay sir i'll do this or she's literally just like the doctor i was mentioning and she doesn't care why she's allowed to go she's just gonna go yeah, exactly so I'm like good you can deal with this bullshit i don't fucking care exactly right and jack explains that Oh, so they're they're talking, and he explains to Jack that they've been out of contact with Topside for five hours now. And Jack explains what the real problem is, you know, the, the black hole, all that shit. And um, Sam finds out how bad the time difference is between, you know, Topside of the mountain and down here. And immediately it's like, Jack, I have to get out of this mountain. I have to go up there. And it doesn't say why yet, because... Um, Things happen. But Boy Toy calls to Sam from the gate, and his voice is noticeably slower. slower yeah. Yeah. Because um, he's right yeah. next to the gate. I'm reading seven Gs at the iris. <laughs> yeah, he says the field is expanding. And she then mentions she has to get out and get to the Pentagon to try and find a solution before the black hole swallows them entirely. I do love this scene for she does a little bit of techno babble and Dick, dickhead looks over at Jack, who's kind of like nodding as if he understands, and it's it's meant to be a bit of dialogue showing that you know the the background between the two of them because he immediately goes, yeah. "Don't pretend you understood that." Yeah, I did like that. <laughs> that was actually a good one. <laughs> yeah. To be to be fair, uh, the character may suck, but I actually do have to give kudos to the actor because he and Richard Dean Anderson, who's amazing in all of his performances here. They, well, yeah. they imply so much, not just with their limited dialogue, but with their inflection, with their body language. With the way they look at each other. Yeah, yeah everything. They're, yeah, they no, are the acting really is on well. Point. They play off the each other The point of this relationship is 100% in the script. But this is actually one of the moments that I really fucking love, the timing of like the, the script and the directing. Because when Sam says she has to go... She has to get up out of the mountain, go to Pentagon to try and find a solution. Right after she says that... Hammond shows up from the side, like off screen, out of nowhere, and it's like, I've already been, and I'm back again. <laughs> it's been about 18 hours. And Yeah, he says he says he's been gone nearly 18 hours. And I love that Jack's response is just a long pause, and then I thought you were on the phone. <laughs> God, that's hysterical. It's 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 terrific. It it almost makes up for the fact that it, it's funny, you like the timing of it. It drove it drove it, it drove me crazy because it's you were gone nearly 18 hours, but still somehow managed to arrive back just in time for the perfect entrance. That that's that's yeah. that's that's impressive. That's amazing. Can, I, in an episode devoted to math, that is some impressive levels of math to have that probability come out. Jesus. I like it because of the fact that a lot of this at this point, from here on out, a lot of this episode just takes advantage of the 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 time dilation stuff to like to the point to where they're like honestly playing on bad tropes of cinema because like i have a note way at the end where i'm like this is the one time where a 20 second timer taking five minutes to go off is uh, is okay <laughs> it's the one time where the timer works well because it actually applies correctly you know you're you're right i didn't even think about that but that is well done but yeah, I, I liked it because of the fact that from here on out, this episode basically plays into that the entire time. The time difference and all that stuff. They keep doing it. And I, I, I like it. I think they, they saw what they had in the concept of this episode and just went for it. 
Yeah. So we find out from Hammond that the think tank's overnight jam session resulted in the solution of, surprise, surprise, blow the mountain up. Yeah. That's always their solution. And Jack is less than thrilled by that solution. You know what's really funny is that scene doesn't even really register for me because all I could focus on was how, again, the uh, who they, Hulu needs to do a better job with uh, who they hire do, to do subtitles because this is something I notice as a, as a constant uh, point of annoyance in books and shit. I know, it's, I know it's an easy accent to make, but it drives me crazy because it happens so much. Hammond says, blah, 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 we you know, can't lose this mountain or something. And the subtitlist wrote, loose. Oh boy. And it's like, God damn it, they're two different words, okay? <laughs> like, and oh, no, that man. was literally my only note on it because I was like, one is spelled correctly and the other is on the loose. Fucking A. <laughs> Go away. And then I just kind of forgot about the scene after that, so. Oopsie. But yes. So that scene. So they talk about how they have the theory that the gravity from the black hole will prevent the explosion from hitting any civilians around the mountain. And Sam's like, no. The gate will probably survive this, and we'll still we'll have no SGC, but we'll still have a black hole with a wormhole connecting us. And Hammond's like, look, no offense, but we had a lot more time to think on this, and this is what they came up with, Sam. <laughs> I do love this, that because that line is great, but it does kind of set up a little bit of, a, of an interesting note at the end, which is, I, I, as much as I love Sam and want to believe that this is totally possible, it kind of implies that Sam is smarter than literally everybody who works at the White House. And it also kind of implies that she thinks that as well. <laughs> right? But, yeah. Like, the fact that she was immediately like, well, I have to go up because I'm the only one who can solve this, you know? Yeah, I mean, I could totally see it being a case of, like, I work with this thing literally every day, so I just have yeah. terabytes, you know, the equivalent of terabytes of more information in my head in terms of just real-time data than everybody else. Yeah, I'm willing to believe that's what it is 100%. It would have been nice to have a single line that said that right. instead of it just seeming to be like an ego thing. <laughs> my whole thing was I looked up, I was. this is one of the reasons why I include, I'm including the uh, goofs link as well is because mm -hmm. there was an interesting one on here as <laughs> a dumb goof listed which is that so yeah. norad is in cheyenne mountain as well so it's above sgc in cheyenne mountain yeah so <laughs> the goof says that since norad is above sgc then the whole mountain would have to be evacuated in the case of a self-destruct uh -huh. as if this is a problem and i'm sitting there going yeah that that makes sense like why would you yeah. leave people in the mountain during a self-destruct. Why would you... Why, you're, you're blowing up the grounds under them. Why would... Yeah, duh. Like, what? Also, like, what? What this episode mean? is very much aware that it's gotten NORAD above it because literally when Hammond went up to make a phone call, Boy Toy said the next working phone is in NORAD. That's not a goof. They yeah. are aware. Yeah. They're aware of it. Now, what I think maybe might have been the intention of the goof, which is something I also was kind of noticing, is... This points out a logistical downside to having the SGC under a major uh, uh, intelligence location, whatever the fuck you call it, NORAD. Yeah. Then the gate's proven to be kind of dangerous at this point. Mm -hmm. By having, by hosting it there, anytime you say need to do a you know self destruct or something along those lines, anytime something super dangerous happens, unless it's something that can be as you know I guess um, dealt with by the hermetically sealedness of, of the nature of the yeah. bunker, NORAD must be getting evacuated a lot. God, right? Like that's that would be a logistical downside. Yes. So if that's what the guy was trying, if that if that's what that person was trying to say, I I, I agree. 
but I don't think it was because it didn't seem like it was. Yeah. I don't know, I don't know what the point was that, about it because it seemed like they were saying it's a mistake. And I'm like, but yeah, you're not going to blow shit up while there's still people in the mountain. That just doesn't make sense. I mean, it might make no. sense from a stupid point, but that's not what they're saying. So I don't know why. What? Um. So Hammond says that they're evacuating and that two volunteers need to stay behind to blow up the base. And Jack immediately volunteers, because of course he does. And then Commander Dickhead volunteers after him. And there's a beat. And then Jack's like, anyone else? <laughs> Once again, I just have to question how the fuck this works. I'm, I'm not saying it's a mistake, because I don't know an, anything about this. But why the fuck does Dickhead have a code that works for the self-destruct No, you're of right. SGC? I don't understand why he would either. That he doesn't has, make sense. This is his first time coming into this. Yeah, doesn't... It's there so that Jack and Han can have yeah. talks alone. Because otherwise the implication is that everybody at a certain rank just has a code that would be somehow in a database, I guess, in this computer and therefore would have access, which just begs the question as to why. Wouldn't that open up a lot of security holes? Like, I don't understand. Yeah, yeah it's dumb. It's dumb. Maybe maybe it's, maybe it's implied that he was given, like, emergency clearance because he was the commando team being sent in. So maybe he would need to be able to self, maybe, self-destruct. Maybe, but they probably should have but said something yeah, about that. It, it, yeah, it just stands out to me as really dumb. Yeah. Uh, so the evacuation commences. Sam- Hammond comes out. Uh, and he finds out it's been he's been gone for 22 hours, and Sam estimates that SGC has slowed down like 600 percent, which is super bad math. I'm just gonna let the there's a there's a in the link it explains it. It's just super bad math. Look, Brad Wright isn't a mathematician. <laughs> Back down, we we get this is okay. I like Martin Wood, and I can't blame this on him because this is a script thing. I just I don't. Anytime a scene happens that is so short that I have a single note for it, I wonder if it really needed to happen then. Okay. Because basically, we go down into SGC just long enough to have a moment where Jack tells Commando Dickhead that the SG-10 team leader reminds him of Sam. Yeah, I uh, I did I like the Which line. Which also, that line didn't need to exist, to be honest. I want to like the line because I like I like its implications on a ship level, but I had to really fight for it in my mind because I I was also kind of like that stands out. Yeah. Yeah, because it wasn't like there was any scene where like Cromwell was having a problem with Sam or something, so it doesn't. It, no. And there's no reason. I don't. I, maybe I I got nothing. I got nothing. It doesn't make sense to me. All I can think is that it was a longer scene and they cut it down. Yeah. And in that case, they should have just cut it out. They didn't need it to be there. So we have up on the on the surface, Sam is doing math and is apparently very picky about donuts. I I love her reaction because that is very much like she picks that up and goes, oh God no, and just puts that right back yeah, down. Yeah, just puts it back down. Like, oh, fuck and I looked at it, I'm like, that looks like a plain donut. What the fuck is wrong with a plain donut, Sam? <laughs> Honestly, I've heard of um, horror stories like where somebody thought it was funny in the scene to uh, that they're eating a donut, for example, to like eat the whole donut, and then because you have to take you have to do the scene a bunch of times, eight or nine takes later, you're regretting everything. I could totally yeah. see it be that she had to take a bite each time, and then that was the take where she was like, "Fuck this!" And because it worked, they went with it. That that's my only <laughs> explanation. Besides, like, w- it was an interesting moment of her just going, "Oh yes, oh no." <laughs> It was a good scene. It was funny, but it, was like, but it was it, it stood out to me not necessarily in a bad way, but in a way that I did I, yeah. it made me overthink it. That and the and fact then, that you see coffee for once, we actually see something in a coffee cup. You can actually see what looks like coffee in it, yeah. And then it's ruined because she takes what looks like the fakest sip ever from it. 
Yeah, um, so Teal comes up behind her and is like, oh, you know, what are you doing? Can I help at all? And this is that close scene. And Sam's scene. like, well, I don't know. Do you know anything about quantum gravity? And I do like how, I like the length of pause before Teal answers. Also, they're <laughs> like, holding each other the whole time. It's so yes. sweet. I love it. I'm, in, I'm a little bit in love with how they react to each other in this scene. Yeah, we don't usually get a lot of Teal'c and Sam interactions, not so like I like this. this scene. Not like this. I love but how close just, they are. I love how long the pause is before Teal'c goes, I do not. <laughs> so he asks how he can help regardless, and she just basically... It's the thing where you have to talk your problem out to someone, whether they understand what you're talking oh, about yeah. or not. Sounding you board exists say it for out reason. loud. Hell yeah. Yeah. So she's, like, basically talking her issue out to him. Explains her issue with the plan uh, to solve the problem. And he's just listening to her. Like, you know, her her doubts on it. What she thinks will go wrong. And then we go down into the mountain. And Commando Dickhead and Jack are preparing to blow the mountain. And Dickhead tells Jack, maybe now you'll know how it feels. Which, is this really the time for that? Right? And Jack is not having any of his bullshit. Just, like, completely... Like blatantly ignores him. Like um, fuck me. I he's named Crom because I feel like I know. Obviously, we all know you know, Benedict Com- not Benedict Cumberbatch. Oh my god, no. <laughs> um, Benedict Arnold is you know the famous turncoat and all that shit. Um, yeah. But I feel like Cromwell is isn't he that guy that like somebody had like his his uh, head for like a while. His his dismembered head was kept as like a trophy for a long ass time through various owners. This guy was I don't think he was liked based on the fact that people were collecting his head. Um huh. he sounds like a bad dude. So I feel like maybe Cromwell has named this as like a reference to a dickhead because I just Maybe. Because he, this scene is just it stands out for like I'm sorry, what? What's happening right yeah, now? Right? Like, I, 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 and then especially when he starts making comparisons that are like I'm oh, not God. even close no, to the same no. thing. Hang on, we'll we'll get there because yeah. I have notes mm-hmm. about that. Go. So we go back up on the planet again, planet again, up on the planet, up on the surface again, and Sam is telling Hammond why she's worried that like after it blows, the wormhole will still be there. And says that, like, eventually, like, first it'll swallow the city, then it'll swallow the state, you know, it'll keep going. This isn't going to solve it, it's just going to keep getting wider and wider on our own planet, the effect. And he says, and he doesn't, he still doesn't really believe that that's what's going to happen. The only thing that makes that believable is, I don't think it's because he's, like, not taking her seriously or any of that shit, it's just that when you hear stuff like that, it doesn't make sense. Off. Exactly. It doesn't sound real. Because mm-hmm. how could it be? And so you're not you're not thinking in terms of facts. You're thinking in terms of what your brain is telling you are facts. Yeah, so he basically says, like, look, if you're wrong... <laughs> he doesn't say you are wrong, at least. Yeah. He does he no, doesn't say not, that. He's not an he asshole. He says, if you're wrong, in a little while, we've got the second gate, we can restart the SGC program. Yeah. Mentions Nellis. And him saying that... Makes her, you know, remember the other gate. Oh, sorry, no, hang on. While she's explaining her worries to Hammond, she does make a little comment about, well, at least Daniel's safe out there. Because Daniel's not on Earth, obviously. Yeah, no, we found on, out earlier. He's on paternity he's leave. Yeah. No, well, he's 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 on fraternity. Yeah, he's in Abydos. <laughs> no. no, he's uh, off on some dig. Yeah. Well, they don't, you don't even say what he's out with another team for, but it's probably a dig. 
How many, how many people, when this episode first aired, how many people do you think at that moment went, oh shit, that's right, Daniel's the character? Because that's like, you barely hear them I mean, think about him. mention him at the beginning. I guess, but it's like one of those like, blink and you miss it kind of moments. So I just feel like, it, I feel like there yeah. was not an insignificant amount of people who way back when were like, oh shit, that's right, Daniel exists. Yeah, genuinely, uh, Daniel's existence in this episode is two different sentences about 30 minutes apart in the episode. And then him showing up at the end for 30 seconds. For, like, the most half-assed, smart-ass line I've ever seen. It, I, I think I he loved literally it. I was dragged onto set to film for 30 seconds and was not there for it. Because, seriously, he doesn't even seem like he's acting in the scene. <laughs> that was Michael Shanks talking to, to, to Jack. That was not Daniel talking to Jack. But you know what? It worked because it's it was, like, the... I laughed out loud when he said that. <laughs> really? I, I kind of laughed and went, geez, man, you sound like you are not here. <laughs> See, to me, it just sounded like it was Daniel being a dickhead, but we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, so, oh, like, bitch, uh, I'll leave you alone for five minutes? <laughs> yeah, basically. Okay, that, that's okay, exactly okay never mind. Was. I take it back. That's, that's, that's probably more likely. So, yeah, so she makes, she's talking about her worries about what will happen and then makes the comment about, well, at least Daniel will be alive out there somewhere. And then Hammond says, look, if you're wrong, we still have the second gate. We can restart SGC. And then Sam suddenly has a eureka moment. And it's like, we can, we can still use a bomb, but if we focus the energy, the direction of the energy of the blast, we can basically do the same thing we did with Antarctica. She says, if we overload the gates with another explosion that's focused, yeah. it'll do like it did with the Antarctica gate, where it'll jump to another gate. So we'll disconnect, it'll force a disconnect from the planet with a black hole on it. And then from there we can just shut it down, because we won't be blocked anymore by a black hole's, the black hole's gravity. My eyes were already bleeding at that point, and I didn't even begin to, to try to look into that. I'm just gonna say, uh-huh, sure. There's nothing about <laughs> it that screams dumb, so I could, I, I could believe it. And if not, and she's like, you know, we have to go back down there. This episode's and... good construction of creative license mixed with science, so. Fine. Yeah. So she's like, we have to go back down there and stop Jack. Which, this is again, it's, this is why, this, this is, the, in my opinion, one of the strongest points of this episode is that, like, in another TV show or movie, the amount of time that it took to come up with the solution and how imminent, like, the self-destruct is supposed to be, it would still be this long stretch, but there wouldn't be an excuse for it. No. Whereas in this, because of the dis time dilation between the surface of the mountain and down below it's completely realistic that it's they're supposed to wait five minutes before they they set the the base to um to go off uh -huh. sam has had enough time on the surface to talk it out with teal to talk it out with ham and to come up with a new uh solution and to start putting the things into into order and then come down the mountain again to tell jack not to do it yep and it works because of the time dilation part of it. I appreciate, it's one of my favorite parts about this episode, is that it's almost kind of like a, a wink at all of the bad action shows and movies that do this. I'll take it. I have no disagreements. Um, yeah, so down under the mountain, Jack says they have one minute to triggering the self-destruct. And in that one minute, Commander Dickhead wants to fix things between them. And we find out that they were on a team together, and the dude left Jack behind to get captured during an incursion, and he was held as a POW for four months. Yeah, so we had we had heard before that he had been in Iraqi prison for four months, and now we know why. 
Yes, mm -hmm. And he wants forgiveness, basically, from Jack. And Jack's like, no. What happened to no one gets left behind? And this is where I was like, sorry, what? He's like, oh, yeah? Well, what about those? And he points at SG-10, who's still on the camera or whatever. What about those guys? You're leaving them behind. It's the same thing. And it's like, no, he physically can't go help them. You have the ability to stay and help him. Like, whether or not it was the right decision yeah. in that moment. Because, like, he does argue that, like, I wanted to keep the rest of the team safe. And I'm not arguing yeah. whether or not that was the correct yeah. decision. I mean, Maybe yeah. he that, was correct that in isn't making the that point. decision. It's the point that he, the point is he made a fucking decision. You're comparing that, where you made a decision, to this, where Jack literally has no choice yeah. it is not the same yeah. thing yeah. whatsoever yeah it's amazing we are on the same exact wavelength my note is pretty much identical right or wrong that isn't the point just because you didn't check to make sure someone was dead doesn't mean you get to pretend it's the same thing as being dead yeah my last line my last note of that big old note is like it even fucking compares right? it's not the same fucking thing if you believe it, it was the correct decision which again isn't even what we're arguing yeah we're not if arguing you believe that, it's the we right decision there, we don't know you have to fucking accept the consequences of that which is Absolutely. understanding or not your teammate had to spend four months in an iraqi prison as a prisoner of, of the war. decision you yeah, made they yeah. had to face consequences for your decision no matter what. So you just and get you know to deal what? with whatever That's happens part now. part of being in command. Yeah. You take that risk. Uh -huh. You take the yeah. risk of being responsible for those sort of decisions when you are in yeah. command. Fucking own up, own up to it. Be an adult. Yeah. And if somebody doesn't want to talk to you anymore, be sad about it. If that, that, that isn't what we're fighting on either. It's just don't make it their problem. No. They're not responsible for making you feel better about your decision. They can be fully in the know and still have a response. Whether or not you like the response is a completely unnecessary conversation. Absolutely. But yeah, so uh, in the, right after his completely ridiculous line, um, the mountain shakes and glass, glass in the, where they're standing shatters and flies towards the gate. And then at that moment, Sam runs in with Siler, who is healed enough to be running around again, which shows how long it's been up yep. top. I just feel bad for Siler in this because A, he's not given, again, any protective equipment, like say gloves no. to help with this process that's coming up in a bit. B is doing all of this on what I'm guessing are still somewhat bruised body parts. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and he's still injured. C, man. I'm sorry. I, I I've taken literally like two, three courses max on how to belay, but I know enough to know that that's not how you hold rope if you want to actually be able to do something. Yeah. That was, that was the, uh, no. That's, that's, that's the weakest grip on a piece of rope that's just gonna slide right out of your fucking hands. So yeah, so, um, she tells them the new solution to the problem. She's like, yeah, we're still gonna do an explosion, but we're gonna do a focused one and a certain, and she's like, does a little bit of the lingo, and then, like, you know, Dickhead looks at Jack, and Jack's like, I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, she's probably right. Let's just do it. <laughs> Tracks. Yeah. She's like, yeah, we, we have a specially designed explosion, explosive, that we're gonna use instead. It's getting delivered from someplace. Yeah. Um, it's a, like, it's oh, a focused charge from yada yada place. <laughs> yeah. 
And uh, he's like, oh, when is that going to get here? And she's like, any second now. <laughs> and then you see Teal come in, bringing the, the bomb. Yep, at convenience o'clock. Yeah. Like I said, I, I accept the convenience timing in this episode because of the fact that a lot of this plays on the time dilation aspect of it. So I, I like it. I enjoy it in this aspect. But yeah, so they, they're they letting out ropes. And I actually kind of like this visual. The visual So because cool. of the fact that the gate is, you know, pulling gravity towards it, thanks to the black hole and everything, to, to have people belay to rappel down a rope towards the gate literally all they do is out of the window of the control room they just start letting rope out and it just stays parallel with the ground because it's just getting pulled directly towards the gate i like that i love that just some wire work that does some really cool stuff yes that that part i have no problem with i uh, agree with even So generous of me to say. But <laughs> I do have the same issue here where, I, again, so how is it only affecting the ropes? Like, I know in a minute they're going to show it it's, starting, it's finally starting to affect the chairs and shit, but up until that point, it doesn't seem to be affecting, I don't know, their dog tags or clothing or hair or anything. Like, that all seems to still be impervious. And I'm like, is all of that really still outside the realm of mass that would not be grabbed? Like, I don't, I feel like this no, point it's is because still be it would affected. be way too much wire work for yes. one episode. And I, th- that part is entirely correct as to why it didn't happen but it doesn't mean i'm not gonna still complain about it <laughs> no it's fair um so i do i do finish my note about the ropes being let out parallel to the ground i say the enemy's gate is down <laughs> nice because they're repelling down the rope sideways technically but because of the gravity of the the black hole they're still going down it's it's i like it no it's a cool force <laughs> perspective kind of look yeah. Before um, Portal, ladies and gentlemen, we had this. This was it. Yes. So, uh, more glass starts to give way, and Sam shouts a warning down, which, because of as they're moving towards the gate, the time dilation is already different just between that. Like, they don't quite hear her. They hear something. Yeah. Um, that's enough to make Jack look up towards them and see the glass falling towards them. Which gives them enough warning to, like, kind of turtle in to, like, avoid taking as much damage as possible. I, uh, it's, it's just really bad CGI. I know they were limited it by is. their time and their money. I, I understand, but, oh my god, it's bad. Uh, but Jack's basically like, fuck this, we're, we're setting the bomb now. This is close enough, we're doing it. Uh, but they do show, I, and again, I'm gonna give Martin Wood credit for this. We do get a, a brief shot of one of their lines right where the connection is oh yeah it's cliche time the, sorry it's cliche time the rope is gonna break time <laughs> yeah but what i like about this directing choice is we see the glass embedded in the rope near where the connection is to the the rappel equipment and everything but we don't see whose it belongs to oh you know what i was too busy complaining about it to uh to notice that that's a good that's a good call yeah that's a good catch yeah, because my note's like, someone's line is slightly severed, because we don't know yet. Suspense time, because this episode needed another element at the last mm-hmm. second. Well, they need this part to try and put a cap on the Jack Commando Dickhead storyline, which it fails to do. Why does everybody but, have to go with the atonement route? I don't understand. Yeah, I don't know. And, and it doesn't even work. It doesn't! He doesn't actually atone. He doesn't do anything. No, I mean, by atonement, it's always like they have to atone by dying themselves. It's kind of like that thing. Like, they have to do their own sacrifice to make up for it as if their decision was wrong. 
Usually it's in the process of doing something as a sacrifice, but he doesn't do anything helpful before he dies. It's let's get to, okay. It's, in, it's, so, it's the whole implication that he was trying that Matt, you know, it, it was it's the, he was doing the right thing, and that's what cost him no, his life. Kind here's of shit. the thing: it's dramatic for the sake of it. It's stupid. <laughs> it would have been harder to like, especially in the time they had left to sell it. But what should have happened if you wanted the atonement line is for Jack's line to have been the one that was severed. Yeah, there you go. And this guy to have saved Jack and fallen because of it. But that would have been more complicated, and you're right, there were time constraints. <laughs> exactly, yeah. But if you wanted to do the atonement storyline, yeah, that's that what should have happened. Yeah, yeah exactly, because this isn't quite executed well. It isn't qu- it's, it's okay, yeah. it's so not great. So basically, while they're, while the while Dickhead is starting to set the timer on, because he uh, Jack says do 20 seconds, uh, and, and he's setting the timer on it, and while that's happening, the iris gets sucked through the gate. The iris and that definitely was not slowing the effect, uh, by the way, would actually have made it worse, but whatever. Yeah. And then he decides, instead of arming the bomb, to start, like, trying to drag Jack up towards the window. <laughs> it's it's dumb. It's, it's out of character. It's weird. And Jack's even like, what are you doing? Arm the bomb! It's not out of character, but it, it, it feels like it's out of character. This guy was... It, and all of a sudden, he cares so fucking much about being forgiven that he's willing to do the opposite of what the whole conundrum was based on, which was that he put mm-hmm. the mission and or team ahead of, you know, the, the good of the many over the good of the one, as it were. And instead, he yeah. decides to sacrifice the planet for the sake mm-hmm. of Jack's forgiveness all of a sudden. And that's just dumb. Yep. So while he's trying to hurry Jack up his rope, despite the fact that, like, sure, they're both being tugged towards the gate, but, like, at this moment, he has no reason to think Jack is especially in any more danger than him or anything. It's so dumb. That's why I'm saying, yeah, at this moment, Dickhead's rope severs, and suddenly he's only hanging on by Jack's legs, and eventually loses his grip and falls through the gate. But it's like, no, if you wanted this to mean anything, Jack's rope would have been severed, and then him trying to, like, grab onto Jack and, like, ignoring the bomb to get him up here would have made far more sense. Hell yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I have no idea. That's why I said the resolution to this plot line, this plot line as in general is the weakest part of this episode, but the resolution is just, ooh, it falls flat on its face. Yep. So, um, Jack takes a second to, like, look at that guy disappearing through the wormhole, like, well, rip, and then just climbs up. Uh, and, like, forces, you know, sets the bomb, arms it, and starts to climb. Uh, and at the same time, Teal'c is on the other end just trying to pull him in just to do it faster. Teal'c, once again, proving the only reason the writers keep him around. Muscle time. Yeah. Um. Bullshit. Well, it it also makes sense because on Teal'c's end, time is going faster. So, like, if he's pulling, it should... Help speed Jack coming up faster. What I mean than is, this, it's just moving. another example of our close up on Teal'c is him doing some physical effort. Yeah, yeah. And it's like you uh, know he has more than one one trait. Yeah, I know. Yeah, like the scene with him and Sam. Yeah, I, okay. I guess this episode's better than the others, but it does bug <laughs> me that they still have that in there. I don't know. It just, it you know, it's I've seen this before because every other episode that this is all they use him for. So it's like, oh, cool, and a well crafted episode. Even they couldn't think of another. Like they gave him one additional scene of like character building, yeah. and that's it. It's like, why is it having yeah, a specifically so... teal focused episode to give him anything of any term type of development? Listen, you're not wrong. Anyway. 
Rage time over. Uh, so yes. Um, so this is where I have the note where I'm like, this is a fantastic moment in TV where you can legitimately make a timer last forever. It's because of the fact that I get so annoyed by that stuff normally. I appreciated the fact that it actually completely worked in this instant. It was fun. It's nice seeing uh, effort. Yeah. So the explosion goes off and the screen goes white and Jack wakes up in medbay to Daniel being a smartass. Yeah. Hey, Jack. And he's like, hey, Jack, did I miss anything? And that's where I did legitimately, like, laugh out loud. He's my spirit animal in terms of sarcasm. Not that Jack isn't sarcastic, but Jack's, but Daniel's level is, is a different kind. It's just beautiful. It's more it mocking, is. and I, 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 I feel it, dude. Especially if you watch it in the order we watched it in, where uh, fifth race just happened, it definitely feels like a you can't go one day yeah, exactly. without me, yeah. Jack. Really. Really, Jack? We talked about this. I was going to go on vacation, and you weren't going to die. I trusted Sam with you. What did you do? And instead, you literally walked a bomb to a black hole. Okay. <laughs> I thought we were done with the you arming bombs days. I legitimately laughed out loud when he said <laughs> Yep. Now, I, uh, I just have a lot of questions about how that explosion didn't kill him. I just... I. Well, the expl explanation is Jack is only alive to think thanks to Teal'c's massive arms. Sure. You know what? I want to believe that Teal'c can outpull a black hole. Yeah, why not? I believe it. <laughs> if anyone in, in SGC can, it's Teal'c. Does that sentence sound vaguely dirty to you? Is it just me? <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. bit. <laughs> okay, so my last thing about this episode is like, I actually have three more notes. Well, one of them is my final thoughts, yeah. but... Um, Go for it. I, so Sam explains that her plan worked, and Ham says they're ordering a new tritium-based iris to be installed. How did they get the trinium? Where either, did they get it from? Either they had enough from that the spirit's planet before they disappeared... Or, but I thought it was just like samples they got. That had trinium. I thought that yeah. I, I think it's literally. Oh hey, cool! Remember that episode? We remember that thing that we formed an entire episode about as to we need it. It's crucial, and we can't find it. And now all yeah. of a sudden, this is a non-issue. This is kind of like that thing I've always bitched about in anime, where they spend like nineteen million episodes showing how fucking hard it is to take down the big boss, and then they'll come across another one in a couple episodes, and they'll take it down in like three seconds. That's an issue with Super Sentai as Yeah, well. it, it, it drives me crazy when that happens. It's like, wait, I thought this was a problem. I'm sorry, did I miss an XP yeah. moment? Like, what, what happened here? So it's it's kind of like that, where this was an issue, and now it's not? Okay. Because yeah. apparently now you have enough to build an entire iris. That's just weirdly convenient. Yeah. So, and then uh, the episode ends with Daniel telling Jack it's been two weeks in the outside world, and Jack says he's going to sleep in. This episode leaves me on a question, which is, can you imagine what is what it must have been like for the off-world teams during that time? Like, can you imagine trying to dial in God, and you don't know so what the scary. fuck is happening? Yeah. It, literally, all you can do, at that point, all you can do is Honestly, just that's... keep dialing and praying. Like, just yeah. on the off chance it works this time. Maybe this time. Maybe this time. Maybe this time. Maybe this time. Like, what else can Honestly, you do? Honestly, that's why Daniel gave him such sass the moment he woke up. Because he was freaking out for two weeks. Right? 
Like, oh shit, did the gold come back? He's, like, what the yeah, fuck Yeah, exactly. Happened? He's like, is SGC fucking gone? What's going on? Do you start trying to, do you start thinking about other plants to go to now? Like, do you start figuring out where to bunker down? Right? Like, what's going on, man? Exactly. No, yeah. That must have been a fun I, two I weeks. would love to see someone, like, say, I would love to see, like, I don't know, fan fiction of Daniel's two weeks during that time. Like, when they find out that they can't get to SGC, what do they start talking about for planning? Blah, blah, blah. I would love to see that story. Just that behind the scenes, what's happening on this? I can just picture game, him you know? just literally just being like, "Well, Earth's gone. Let's, let's just let's, let's fucking go find some other place." Like I could see him being in total like shock, uh, just kind of like not like panic per, per se, but kind of like, "Nope, they're gone. They're, they must be dead. Gold was a comeback." Or being that creepy, uh, "No, they're fine. We must find out what happened." Like yeah. intensity. Actually, it's probably that one. I would love, yeah, He's I would very just love driven to see it. Like I think it'd be really interesting to see what was going on on that end. Yeah. Or in any of the other teams that were out. I think it'd be interesting. Yeah, because yeah, it, it uh, couldn't have yeah. just been him that was off-world. No, because, well, well, they mentioned they mentioned three or four teams that were off-world. There you go. They had a fun week. Yeah. I think it was three, but it might have been four. I don't know. It was one of <laughs> Three or four. Uh... And, but yeah, so my final note on this episode, my final thoughts on this episode, is I think, ultimately, that the concept is stronger than the script itself. I have no problem with that. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds accurate. I would say, I would, and, I would agree with that. Yeah, and I, I wanted to say, like, it's not that the script is bad, I just don't think it's the sort of plot that Brad Wright shines with. I think it would have been difficult for anybody to do. It's a hard concept to work with, and you always have to gloss yeah. over something, or several somethings to make it work. Mm -hmm. In this case, literally the introductory concept. Yeah, I can't like pinpoint any specific moment. Yeah, especially after not after going to sleep after watching it and like not watching it currently or whatever. I can't pinpoint a specific moment for you, but there were a couple of moments during the episode where I could almost feel like Brad Wright wasn't as confident writing about this subject. And like I said, it's not a bad script. It just, you can, like, when I saw that it was story by so-and-so and then teleplay by Brad Wright, I'm like, mm. I can I can see that. Maybe something kind of got lost in the translation. I can see where there's a slight disconnect. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. I could, I could see that, yeah. And then I also said, also the plot with the commando dickhead just sort of doesn't resolve. Weakest point of the episode. I don't understand. I guess, I guess there must just be something they teach in like film school or something that tells you that you can't have only like two storylines going on in an episode. You have to have something weaving them all together. Otherwise it's boring or too short or some shit. I don't know. I just, there's always that last minute kind of feel storyline that it just, it doesn't fit. And this animosity backstory that apparently is in there to explain some of Jack's backstory, which honestly should have been given more time and more consideration, yeah. especially since they had apparently no uh, intention of resolving it. It's, it's, I know. it's, 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 the, it's, it's not the, the thing, thing to tack on, guys. Why did you tack it on here? Yeah, that's the thing. Like... Like I said before, I didn't, like, obviously, I called him Commando Dickhead. I wasn't fond of his character, and his points to Jack were fucking stupid. It's not the same thing whatsoever. But, like, even outside of that, it could just be a character flaw, whatever. The resolution just destroys this whole plot line. Because yeah. there's no, there's no real resolution. It's garbage. It's not, it's not an answer. 
No, I, I I think it's really just because it's it's that easy ending for those kinds of storylines when you don't have an intention yeah. resolution, which is a, atonement by death. It's just dumb. It doesn't. I, yeah. I I never I never like it. I never like it, especially even when it's like people are like no, it makes sense for the character. I'm like yeah, but here's the thing. At this point in time, it's just it's impossible for it to not be a form of cop out. Yeah. It just is. It's been done too many times, okay? Like the Wilhelm scream, let it die, move on. It <laughs> The Wilhelm scream you only can revisit has a place it later. when it's used as a joke now. Yeah. I'm I don't understand life, art, history, everything proves that evolution happens in terms of yeah. like creation. You can figure out different other story devices. There are other ways. I don't know, it's just it it feels lazy obviously because it is yeah. and you know even i like i, I love deadpool too but even i really hate the scene with the collar where he's where uh lucky lucky um lucky chick domino domino i don't know domino yeah domino says seven and it works and he goes oh that's just lazy writing i'm like ha ha fuck you lampshading still stupid <laughs> um that 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 bugged me because that really just because you call it just because you lampshade it doesn't make it not extremely lazy like that's just mm-hmm. dumb. This is kind of like that where it's just it's just super dumb in how lazy it is. You couldn't think of anything else to do literally anything else. I mean the cliche book is wide and it is vast. You couldn't find anything else. Yeah. So uh, death tally. Only person who died was uh, SG-10 and Commander Dickhead, so... Only, like, six people. <laughs> no, four people and... Five people. Five, five people, people, five people. SG teams are four people, and then... Five Dickhead. people and a perfectly good melt. Yes, absolutely. A poor melt. That's the biggest law. <laughs> uh, Alright, are you a Jack or are you a Daniel? Well, I think I'm gonna have to go with Jack. Something just has me leaning towards Jack. I feel like it's because he had just a skosh more screen time than Daniel. It's really just more about the presence, I think, in this episode. You know what? Genuinely, just, I... (laughs) Because of the fact that his fucking 30 seconds had me cracking up so badly and I could read so much into, like, what was behind it, I am honestly a Daniel in this episode. (laughs) Do it. Do it. I'm certain not appearing in this film and then very and I come in just to be an asshole. Do it. Live your truth. So, how are things? God. That does sound like you. It does. Just show up afterwards. What's up? Okay. Uh, so, how do we feel about this episode overall? Uh, thumbs up. I mean, obviously it's got serious flaws, but I really do enjoy this episode. It got me going. It was exciting. I loved, I loved Sam in it. I appreciated the fucking hell out of the cinematography and Richard Dean Anderson's performance was spectacular. Half of my notes were about me just going, oh my god, he's amazing, I love him. (laughs) The acting was wonderful. Martin Wood continues to deliver. Do we want to add another tally to the Hall of Fame? Um, Especially since you love that tracking shot so much. Yeah, I love that tracking shot so much. He, he... I, I am such a fucking sucker for long shots, tracking shots. I just, I hate cuts. I hate cuts. Yeah. Life is not a series of cuts. It's just, you can do so much with movement or lack thereof. I mean, I, I always, I'm I'm still trying to get my boyfriend to watch Margin Call with me because I actually like it. Um, Mm -hmm. I guess nowadays, I guess maybe I don't want to watch anymore because it does have Kevin Spacey in it. Fuck. Anyway. Uh um, Well, that sucks because it has what I, it's not even that hard of a scene. It's not that big of a thing, but it's just this really cool shot I love where 
speaking of Siler, uh, Siler from Heroes, uh, Zachary Quinto, there we go, and yeah. some other guy, I can't remember who it is, uh, they're just on an escalator and they're really tired, so they're just sitting on the escalator as it slowly goes up, and you just kind of see them mm-hmm. come into the shot as the escalator brings them in. That's cool. I'm a sucker for long tracking shots. I loved that, uh, as much as I don't like Game of Thrones' last season, uh, the Battle of the Bastards scene was awesome. There was a lot of really cool long shots in that. There was one where uh, Jon Snow was like going through the battle. Several things are happening in order, and he's—it's mm-hmm. just all one long take. And nice. you've heard me go on about how much I love that scene in Atomic Blonde. I know that one's a blended shot, as in it was actually more yeah. like forty-two cuts that they you know stitched together. But it gave but the appearance so of good. one long unbroken yes. tra- uh, tracking shot. That was um in the trailer, and that's what got me to see the movie. I mean, granted, if it I, if I see Charlize Theron, I'm going anyway. I didn't even know that it was going to be more than that. <laughs> but that shot. And they, I, it shouldn't be that they stand out so much that I get this excited over them whenever they happen. And it shouldn't be that TV directors don't use long shots as much as they can. Because that shot isn't even that long. It's just mm-hmm. longer than, than the others. Yeah. Because like, even when they're in a conference room, just talking about shit, they're so invested in having all these close-up shots as people deliver their information that they... I'm not saying it's terrible, I'm just saying it's constant. <laughs> and I appreciate literally any change in form. Yeah. Uh, fun fact about um, the the writers with their good, bad, or mez. Yeah. Uh, this has just put Brad Wright in uh, tying with first place for the number of for the number of well written episodes. Oh, nice. One guess who's who he's tied with. Glasner. No, Glasner hasn't written enough episodes for that. No, Cooper. Yeah. Oh yeah, my man. He's a writer that we've given absolutely zero bad or mess scores to. I'm sure it'll happen eventually. He uh, SGA for as much as I love it. You can't it. fire on all cylinders all the time. SGA but... is a full lot show. It is. It's much more interested in being fun. I think. I don't know why, but it is, and it's a little too goofy. And there are not great episodes as a result of it. Yeah, uh, Robert C. Cooper and Brad Wright both have eight uh, thumbs up episodes from us. Damn. Brad Wright also has one bad. Really? That's it. Yeah. Which one? Uh, really? You're asking me to remember this? Hang on, <laughs> let me look. Let's find out. No, it wasn't that one. Definitely wasn't that one. No. Oh, politics. Oh, that's right, because he's one of the show show main show people, so he had to do the. Well, he wrote the teleplay for it. Yeah, I figured uh, it was because he's the, the guy they trusted with all the storylines. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even though it's dumb. I mean, it makes sense that a showrunner would have to do the fucking uh, clip show. Yeah, episodes, still but... just dumb. No, no, you're not wrong. But yeah, so that's that's his one. If he hadn't done politics and had done something else, he'd probably be in lead. But he didn't. So, he's <laughs> but got he didn't. One bad one. Yeah. So, <sighs> politics is a stain upon season one. But yeah. Okay. So. With all of that out of the way, next week we are going to be watching, and again, we're going to go by the Wikipedia order, not by my DVD order, because the DVD order is, gets weird here for some <laughs> reason, and we're watching it via Hulu right now anyway. So next week we will be watching episode 17, Holiday. Holiday. No, 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 I hate Holiday. No! No, tell me it's not the body switch one. Yeah. Fuck no. By the same writer as uh, Spirits. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? That brings it me is. back to my microphone. Sorry, what? 
I, I hate Holiday. I hate motherfucking Michello. Fuck that bitch. Fuck him. Fuck this episode. I hate the premise alone. I, I hate Face Off, the movie. I hate this mo- episode. I hate everything that has to do with this concept. I'm sure I'll have plenty of, of fun getting into why. It's just, it's, it's easy to sum up. It's stupid. <laughs> I just <laughs> well, hate it. Well, save that for next week's recording. That is it for this week. If you want to get a hold of us, you can find me on Twitter at ItSmellNotLess or our podcast Twitter at Point of Origin PC. You can also email us at PointOfOriginCast at gmail.com or write something on the side of a tissue box and toss it through the nearest wormhole. You can find links to things we talked about during the show in the show notes. And if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Thank you for joining us on our incursion through the new Trinium Iris. And until next time... <laughs> <laughs>